everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, the podcast about movies. My name is David Chen, and it might surprise you to learn that when I record the podcast, my co-hosts appear to me as large, frightening gray masses. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. I'm looking forward to the movie where Terrence Stamp doesn't play a creepy, murderous guy. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Hey, if this is Edgar Wrong, I don't want to be right. Wow. Really bring it home. Yeah. That's terrible, guys. That was, was, was a roughest batch in a while. Yeah. Um, those are, of course, a reference to the fact that we will be reviewing Last Night in Soho, Edgar Wright's newest film. Uh, Alicia Grasso from Screen Rant is going to be joining us for that review. Really excited to have her. She was on our Green Knight episode. Comes back after a lot of positive feedback on that episode. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. And if you want to support the podcast, very easy to do that by going to patreon.com slash film podcast, where uh, we have ad-free episodes as well as exclusive After Darks. This week on the After Dark, we got a review of Titan, the new Julia Ducournau movie. Valerie Complex joins us for that uh, review of Titan on the After Dark, and Jeff Kanata does not. Uh, and that is <laughs> nope. a complete, just uh, kick Jeff out. Nope. That is an act of mercy uh, <laughs> on Jeff, you know, that Jeff did not have to watch that movie, um, because I really felt like he would not like it. So yeah, but um, you all I should appreciate that. I, you I think should. you all should. It's on VOD. Yeah. If you want challenging cinema, it's available right now on video on demand. And As we know, it. our audience has much better taste than I do. A hundred percent all the time. So <laughs> yeah. yes, uh, that's the after dark again, patreon.com slash film podcast. All right. We got a stack show for y'all tonight. we got a bunch of what we've been watching, some weekly plugs, and then we're going to dive into last night. And so, so let's just get right into it. What we've been watching this week. I like to call my segment Dave's B movie corner. Dave's B movie corner. All right. That's because there's been a bunch of B movies that have come out in the last few months that uh, I, you know, during the summer, I was not going to theaters at all. And I've slowly started to feel more comfortable going back into theaters. I'm fully vaccinated. I wear an N95 mask and I feel I feel pretty good about going back to theaters now. But there were a bunch of movies I wanted to see over the summer. And uh, those have all hit video on demand recently. So I'm like, okay, going to watch all these movies that I wanted to see. Uh, in theaters, didn't have a chance to see it. Now I'm watching them at home. Starting with Don't Breathe Two. Don't Breathe Two is don't a sequel breathe to Two. Still don't breathe. Still, still not still breathing. Holding it. Still holding it. Yeah. <laughs> still holding it in. Still holding it in. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't Breathe Two. So uh, this movie. It, it just sounds to me, by the way, that this is like the first thing you jump to of like the B movies that you haven't <laughs> you've been missing out on. But well, go, ahead, I, go ahead. I mean, I knew that. You guys would make fun of me for this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Watching, you know, so ready. And that's fine. That's fine. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready and willing and open to that. I mean, I'm we just do need to say, have. We need to have a, a Dave's B movie corner jingle, though. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, why don't we? Why don't we uh, make it up? You, you want to make it up, Jeff? I, I, I can give it a shot. You know. Um, if you want to give it a shot, Dave, you can. You can give it a shot. All right, I why don't I give it a shot? Then you give it a shot. Yeah. We can see which right. one's better. Okay. Okay. We can. Right, jingle Dave's off. B movies. B movies, Dave's B movies, the movies that he wanted to see earlier, but he couldn't in theaters, and now they're out of video on demand. <laughs> okay, I like it. What do you wow. think? That's a little long. It's a little long. Okay, but, yeah. right. what, what do okay. you got? What do you got? Show us what All you got. It's Dave's B movie corner. Why see in a movie when you can see a B, C, B, A, B, C, B, B, A, B. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, not bad, not bad. Uh, people have no, to ter- vote. Tell terribly us bad. One, yeah, people have to vote. Tell us which one of those they like better. But anyway, Don't Breathe 2. Okay, I thought Don't Breathe 1 was a pretty amazing film. Like, just, in, it's obviously a genre slash exploitation movie, uh, but it just was so stylish and so well-constructed. Fede Alvarez, the, the director of that movie, mm-hmm. that... I was like, okay, like really, really well done movie. Like, just I, I appreciate it. Go wrong for a sequel, yeah. Well, okay. So, spoilers for Don't Breathe One. Here, are you guys ready for the spoilers uh-huh. for Nobody Don't breathes. Breathe One? Here Nobody we go. Breathes. Okay. So, spoilers for Don't Breathe. So, so Don't Breathe One. Basically, the plot of that movie is you got a bunch of kids breaking into Stephen Lang's house and trying to steal some money from his house. Yeah. And Don't do that. Oh, I remember we reviewed this, didn't we? Yes. I, I enjoyed yes. this movie. Yeah, I thought that was good. It was good. It was great. This it was. Great. was uh, Blind, like breaking into yes. Blind Fury's house. Yes. Uh, and so uh, Stephen Lang is blind in the film. And uh, and so actually the entire time, or for the first half of the film, you feel bad for Stephen Lang. Like Stephen Lang is like completely justified mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in wanting to defend himself and his He's property, the victim, you know? Yeah. He's yeah. the victim in the movie. Until, until the protagonists stumble into Stephen Lang's basement and find that he is imprisoning a a woman uh, because basically that woman accidentally killed Stephen Lang's daughter in a car accident. And so he's like, I'm going to have a child one way or the other. And he has like impregnated that woman with his stuff. And he's like, you know, <laughs> keeping her his stuff, the stuff, <laughs> keeping her. I, I don't want to be crass, Jeff, but yeah, um, and he's, keeping her, he's keeping her captive in the, his basement. And it's like really horrifying to see that 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 is the case. And so then your your sympathies instantly switch to, OK, Stephen Lang is actually a terrible the, ter- the bad guy. Right. Yeah. Like he's he is the monster slash bad guy in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know that at the top, but now I do. Now I do. And so, uh, and so that that's yeah, kind there, of I remember happens. that there was like a safe with a gun in it, and the, yeah, you try to the, break into the, the safe, there's right? There's a turkey baster. There's there was a, a safe with money movie. in it, and there was a there's multiple guns, and yeah, there's no there's yeah. no gun in a safe in that movie, but <clears> but there's stuff. There's multiple safes and important things in safes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, end of Don't Breathe one. So I'm going to spoil Don't Breathe. I'm, I will not spoil you Don't did Breathe already. Three, but, uh, but end of end of end of Don't Breathe one is basically. Uh, one of the protagonists gets out of the house alive, um, and then you find out in the final moments of Don't Breathe One that Stephen Lang's character survived, right. and that's and it's like oh, and he's coming after the protagonist. Okay, Don't Breathe Two is very similar to Don't Breathe One. It basically is like a bunch of people coming after Stephen Lang in his house, like that's similar, except this time Stephen Lang is the protagonist hmm. of the movie. Now, yeah. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking to yourself, wait a second. This is the guy that basically (laughs) impregnated this woman against her will and was going to use a turkey baster to rape another woman Mm -hmm. in Don't Breathe One. Like, that's the thing that he was about to do in Don't Breathe One, clearly making him not only the villain of that film, but arguably a monster. Uh, Not not arguably, just definitively a monster. Objectively a monster. He's he's a terrible, terrible person. Uh, And this movie is going to make him the... Uh, protagonist, the quote-unquote hero of of this movie, surely the film is going to do something to reckon with the fact that he did all those horrible things in the first film. Surely the film surely, will do that. Surely. And what, the what's he going to do? Uh, Go well, back in the past? Pretend that never happened? <laughs> well, there there actually was a... 
there is a case that this movie could have been a prequel, right? Like uh-huh. maybe uh-huh. this is about how he became like that, you know, or like how he became like the the sort of like this could this movie could have Casino Royale, right. you know, the <laughs> yeah. Stephen Lang character. You realize, oh Lang. man, it, it actually was the right decision to turkey baster or that. N- no, mm. I don't know about mm. I don't know about right decision, but it certainly could have been like here's the here's a character <laughs> at a different point in his life, you know. Uh, but the movie doesn't do any of that. It doesn't reckon with any of that at all, and that is arguably its. its you just it just film. decides that now we are supposed to root for him. Yeah, I think so. Basically, yeah, he, <clears throat> he's, he's basically a yeah. relatively sympathetic hero in this film. That that and it, it always sucks when horror movies do that. By the way, like especially movies like this, like when Freddy became kind of the main character, right? Like, yeah. kind of yeah. the you hero don't do that. Later on. Yeah, stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, basically, there was a way they could have done it, I think, but they sure, didn't. Sure, sure. You know, they, there was a way they could have made him the hero, but they didn't do it. They could have, like, maybe he, like, served time or, like, so, like did something to, like, reckon with his his crimes. But nope, doesn't really do any of that. And I'll just say that this movie, in addition to that, so th- that is the fundamental failing of the film. Like, that is, the film cannot succeed, in my opinion, because of that one thing, right? So it's already a failure. Uh, but besides that, the movie leans really hard into the the exploitation genre. Like it is, it is the plot is absolutely ludicrous and far fetched, and the movie is just very, very cruel to all of its characters. Like it either inflicts severe harm on its characters or it forces them to do things that are really, really horrible. So overall, it's just a very, very unpleasant watch, and unfortunately, I cannot recommend it. That <laughs> said, there are a handful of really well done sequences in the movie, and that's kind of what I was interested in yeah. checking out. Like, are there really, you know, there's some really well done sequences. Don't breathe one. It's not as good as don't breathe one from a pure craft perspective. And from a plot perspective, it is unfortunately much worse. So real mixed bag there. Unfortunately, I don't think it's a good movie. Um, do I regret watching it? Mildly, mildly, <laughs> but you know, that's, that's the, the B movie ratings. Game, yeah. That's the, the key way. feature yeah. of Dave's B movie corner yeah. is how much did he regret watching it? A hundred percent. But at the, at the end of the day, you know, it is impressive <laughs> that uh, Roto Sayaguez, who's the director of this movie made a movie. So, yeah. and the movie did very well, by the way, it, uh, it, it made m- multiples of its budget theatrically. So, you know, uh, I wanted scale to mention of second thoughts to crushing regret. <laughs> This gets a mild regret. <laughs> That's 100% true. Okay. Uh, you know what a movie that doesn't have as much regret uh, of me watching is The Protégé. Now, here's yeah. the thing. Martin Campbell, Martin Campbell. Is, the, is the guy who directed The Protégé. He is capable. Like This is a guy who rebooted James Bond successfully twice. Mm-hmm. Right? GoldenEye and also Casino Royale. Those are some of the best Bond films sure. ever, in my opinion. He's also near 80 years old now. Yes. Like this, he, and he is still trucking. So, Dude is okay. a freaking badass. Yeah. And that is why I wish The Protégé was a better film than it, than it is. <laughs> and, and I think that like when I watch a movie like The Protégé, what, what, what do I really want? All I'm looking for is like maybe four to five really amazing action scenes. Like mm-hmm, if I can mm-hmm. watch the protege and get, you know, Maggie Q and Samuel L. Jackson having cool banter, looking cool, uh, and four to five really great action scenes, I'm like, that's that's exactly what I'm looking for. And the movie doesn't quite deliver on that, unfortunately. There's like maybe one to two great action scenes. And again, as with Don't Breathe Two, the plot is absolutely ludicrous. Uh Wait, Michael and- Keaton's in that movie. Yeah, okay. Michael Keaton's so in here's it. the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing that saves the movie is Maggie Q and Michael Keaton have kind of a romantic subplot in this film. 
Uh-huh. And they have really, really amazing chemistry in this movie. Like, I love their chemistry in this film, despite the fact that there's, I think, over a 20-year difference between <laughs> these two characters. Usually that is really cliche, and it bothers me. But it's also this, Michael Keaton. It's also Michael like, Keaton. Sure. Yeah. It's also Michael Keaton. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. I can I can live with that. Their chemistry is awesome. Their dialogue is awesome. That's cool. Uh, it's it's actually kind of worth watching, in my opinion, just to see. I don't know if I would pay money to watch it, <laughs> but if you see it on streaming, I'll be like, yeah, you got to watch yeah. it just to see Michael Keaton and Maggie Q kind of bounce off each other. I, I, I kind of always want to pay my respects to Martin Campbell. Like this guy has given me so much joy in my life. Like Goldeneye, yes. Mask of Zorro, and yes. Casino Royale. Oh my gosh, like, Mask of yeah. Zorro, masterpiece. Yeah. So, yeah, um, it's not quite as good as, as those movies. <laughs> how, how does it compare to The Foreigner? Because that was the last one he did, right? Oh, it's um, not as good as that either, in my opinion. Yeah, okay, okay, <laughs> but that's, I, that's not good. Yeah, but, you know, the thing, the thing that I come away with is, like, man, like, the John Wick movies are really, like, a miracle. You know, is like, is like, John Wick movies, like, those movies are, like, the gold standard now for, like, action movies. That's right? true. And I think it's because, like, each one of those movies has multiple extremely creatively staged and executed action scenes. And mm-hmm. the choreography we're spoiled. is We're excellent. spoiled by those movies. Yeah, and we're like spoiled by those movies. And I'm like, okay, I things. want this yeah. to be like somewhat close to that. And there's a couple moments in, in the protege that come close to that, but not really. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, a bit of a disappointment, but again, Michael Keaton's in it. And Jeff, I think you went on a long speech last week about how you have to watch anything Michael Keaton's in yeah. by law. Uh, so he's yeah, yeah, apparently. I guess I got to watch this now. Yeah. So that's The Protégé, uh, along with Don't Breathe 2. Those are movies I watch. Those are both available for rent or purchase on video demand. Finally, I want to mention The Forever Purge. <laughs> This is this is another movie You're I really watched. Really taking us on a roller coaster oh, over here. Yeah. Oh Dave! <laughs> oh Dave! Why didn't you value your time? <laughs> I have watched every single Purge film. I don't, you know, I don't know. There's just something about these movies that gets me. Now, here's the thing: <laughs> a fantasy of yours, just one night. <laughs> <laughs> well, the pur- the Purge is theoretically like, ooh, it's so dystopian, right? Mm-hmm. It's like. Yeah. It's such a dystopian thing of like, oh, Americans would like go out and be violent for twelve hours and like without consequence. Yeah. Remember I've when that was a realize, fantasy? <laughs> I've come to re- yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. I said, remember when that was a fantasy? Well, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Is like yeah. I've come to realize that basically the the fir- like the Purge franchise is actually like a utopia. You know, it basically <laughs> is. Hey, remember all those like alt right people like. This is this is a, a universe where those people need an excuse to behave like assholes. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and one we can, night will suit them. It's yeah, like, that's surely it's, nothing will carry over. Beyond it, that it's night. confined yeah. to one night a year. I'm yeah. like, I would love that. You know, like <laughs> save the racism that. for the purge night, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like if we could have that, that would be amazing. You know, like uh, if it was confined or, to one or, night. Yeah, we've so. gone pro purge. We're full pro purge here now. <laughs> Let's do well, this. Let's implement this bad boy. Well, what the the Forever Purge presumes is like, hey, actually, okay, like picture this, okay? Imagine like a new uh, like sort of leadership structure is elected to the United States, and they basically say, hey, you people now have an excuse to be assholes to everyone, and then some of those people are like, you know what? We're gonna do this all the time. I know that sounds completely unbelievable. <laughs> we but that have is one the plot. rule for Purge World, you know. <laughs> That's just that is the plot of the Forever Purge. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. And and. Uh, we we have we have basically witnessed and now now I think like the world we live in is not quite as violent as the Forever Purge, but we have now basically been in an inversion where like the pro- the point of the Purge movies was to be like holding up a mirror to American society, right? And be like, yeah. we have shattered that mirror. No, now we we're are, holding we a mirror yeah. up to the, the Purge movies. <laughs> yeah. We are fully through the looking glass. We're like. 
you know, uh, the the world of the purge is not necessarily that far off. Yeah, and and, and basically the movie's attempts to exaggerate the reality we live in now feel fairly ineffective, mm. right? Because. I- I we think now the lesson, live in a fairly exaggerated reality. The lesson, by the way, is you you give the the people an inch, right? You give the fascists an inch, and they'll go all the way. And it's kind of like the lesson we're probably need to learn right now. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Well, yeah, and so yeah. The, the plot of the Fervor Purge is like, what if people were like, we're going to do the purge forever? You know, uh-huh. we're not even gonna we're not going to stop purging after one night. That's that's the plot <laughs> of the movie, and and it goes badly for everyone. It goes mm-hmm. badly for everyone. Let's put it that way. So. Uh, in terms of an entry into the Purge movies, I think this is like a solid entry into the Purge franchise. It's, okay. uh, I, I think the whole series Talk has about become... damning with faint praise. Well, I mean, I think the first Purge is good. I like the first Purge, yeah. The, the whole series has become, like, quote-unquote unnecessary given, like, the political environment we live in. <laughs> but, you know, if if we are going to evaluate them, you know, the action is pretty solid. The characters mm-hmm. are pretty solid. Like, there's some pretty interesting setups. And, yeah, so I think it's a, it's a decent movie. So that's the Forever Purge. Uh, it's probably the movie I regret least watching. Uh, no, The Protégé is not bad either. So Let me ask Protégé. you this. W- does The Purge franchise have anywhere to go now? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I- I'd be very <laughs> surprised uh, if it is going to get... Well, well, okay, okay. I mean, I-, I don't know if there's any way I can answer that question without spoiling The Forever Purge. I'll just okay. say... That this Turns movie out it's not forever. <laughs> <laughs> this movie resets the dynamic of the purge in an, in a way that is that w- will have to be reckoned with if they make another movie. Let's put it that mm. way. So, uh, yeah, could be, but I, I just think like you know we we live in such yeah. sort of challenging politically strident times that the 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 series. <laughs> Is no longer feels necessary. We don't need the, something. The to next amp one up is just going to be like a documentary movie or like yeah. uh, like a prank movie, <laughs> like uh, like Jackass or something, you know, or the Eric yeah. Andre movie. It's it's going to be pranking about the you know sheer hellscape we're living in politically. Yeah, Devendra has seen the first. Pur- have you seen any of the Purge movies, Jeff? I have not. Uh, not a one. Not a one. I, how many? Are I, there? I think I think you would like the first Purge, Jeff. It's a really good, tight little. It's kind of yeah, yeah kind of interesting. It's like uh, mostly he's done in a single location, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly the idea is interesting, right? Mm-hmm. The, the idea is interesting. The the problem is that like it falls pro- apart pretty quickly. The problem is yeah. that like the Burge movies are wildly implausible, right? Because the idea <laughs> is like the 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 premise is hey, one night a year, people get to purge and do whatever the hell they want. And that has no spillover into the rest of the world, yeah. right? Like, Surely it's peaceful outside of that. It's oh yeah, like, outside uh, of that, everyone's like, "Hey, we're good, we're good." You know, like that's just not how violence works, right? Like it's like cheat day. It's like <laughs> you can have as much sugar and crappy food you want on cheat exactly day. It. Yeah, as long as you're you know good the rest of the week. It's cheat day for murder. Yeah, yeah. As the movies have gone, it, it honestly is very similar to the Saw movies, which is another series that I've watched every movie <laughs> of. Like where, as the movies go on, you start to realize how implausible the premise is because it's like wait a second like what would happen the next day what about like when kathy from the office like she tried to murder me last night like you know how am i supposed to you know do spreadsheets (laughs) with her tomorrow you know like it doesn't against the law to uh punish people for their (laughs) crazy political behavior it's like yeah the, the, you'd have to adapt to a whole different set of norms, basically, that the movie doesn't really yeah. do anything to address. It was as so. if, you know, tons of people stormed the Capitol building, you know, and very little happened. And, and now, and now we need to like, li- we now need to like live and operate as though, Absolutely. as though like a significant portion of our elected representatives didn't do that or weren't uh, like didn't contribute to that in any 
way, you know? Yep. And, and, and how weird would that be? You know? How weird? How weird and uncomfortable would Very that implausible. be? Very implausible. Very implausible, guys. I know. And it's, 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 it's like, it, it's ridiculous that this movie would ask us to buy anything like that. So yeah. anyway. Uh, I, I would just like to say that uh, I love the fact that you watch these three movies instead of Only Murders in the Building. Uh, Listen, you, you're talking about Only Murders in the Building. The Underground Railroad is right there. <laughs> both of you. Both of you need to watch that show. So don't, don't even talk about Only Murders in the Building. All right. Here. Well, that's Don't Breathe to the Protege and the Forever Purge. It's what I've been watching this week. Hey, everyone. I just want to tell you about our sponsor, Manly Bands. I think for a lot of people, uh, they spend a lot of time thinking about their perfect wedding ring, the perfect cut and clarity and carrot and whatever. And then there are people like me who just really want something simple and they want a simpler way to find a ring. I remember being just overwhelmed with the choices and the prices and just all the things you had to choose from when going to jewelry shops when I was getting married. Manly Bands is trying to do that a bit differently by letting you choose a ring that looks exactly how you want in all sorts of different materials that even include some from space. I ended up choosing the record producer, which is made out of black-plated tungsten, and yeah, it has this shiny black uh, exterior, but on the inside, it's kind of yellowish and goldish looking. Uh, it's just a really cool style. Manly Bands makes it easy to figure out your ring size. You just have to start by ordering the Manly Ring Sizer, and it'll help you make sure you get the perfect fit. Once you've got that, it's time to get to the fun part, and you can choose from a variety of materials, including gold, wood, antler, steel, dinosaur bone, and uh, meteorites, uh, the ones that killed them, maybe. You could also choose from Manly Band's curated collections, like the Jack Daniels Whiskey Barrel Collection. I already have a wedding band, but I, for the longest time, wanted something that is maybe a little less costly and something I can use uh, doing all sorts of different activities. So I'm going to be getting a silicone one eventually, too. And this one just looks really cool. It's a nice way to change up the current color of my current band. Once you've selected your band, Manly Bands offers free shipping worldwide, a 30-day exchange policy, and a free warranty. At the end of the day, you'll have a ring that reflects you, no matter what happens to your marriage. To order your Manly Band and get 21% off, plus a free silicone ring, go to manlybands.com slash filmcast. That's manlybands.com slash filmcast. That's the character slash for 21% off. Manly Bands, the best damn rings, period. Devendra Hardo, what have you been watching this week? I have been watching with my daughter, Maya and the Three, which is a new show on Netflix. Uh, it's by... Jorge R. Gutierrez, who did uh, The Book of Life, that movie from a couple years ago. This is this is a really cool show, and I'm really enjoying it. So if you know a kid who is really into animation and superhero stuff, uh, this is about a Mesoamerican princess who basically is on a quest to defeat the gods. It is rich in uh, like culture, in Mesoamerican culture, and imagery, and mythology. It is one of the most like beautifully animated things, uh, animated things I've seen in a very long time. Um, CG, shows, CG animation. CG. It, it is CG, but it's like also very light. It's almost like cartoony. Like there's points where the show does uh, basically does like uh, nods to Looney Tunes, and it's kind of funny. Like it's very active, vibrant animation, lots of movement, great action, great score, and uh, an incredible cast too, including Zoe Saldana. Uh, Diego Luna, Alfred Molina, like just everybody. Rita Morena's in this. Um, great Cheech Marin. Uh, this show is so much fun because it's about, you know, this one princess who's off to recruit some friends to help her defeat the gods, basically, because uh, because of a prophecy, yada, yada. Um, I just think it's a lot of fun. 
And my daughter, who's three years old now, um, really, really enjoys it. Uh, it could be maybe a little too intense for some kids, and I, I should probably feel bad for <laughs> letting her watch parts of this. Uh, she tells me when she's scared of something. You know, this is a kids' movie where, like, you know, there there are evil gods that look kind of monstrous. You know, there's like a big um, Day of the Dead type vibe going on with a lot of the like underworld imagery in this. But I think it's really cool. I love the characters. It's very funny. Um, the voice acting is really good. And mostly it's just like this movie, this show doesn't look like anything that's out right now. Um, they they do this weird thing where it's kind of uh, cropped in a sort of like 235 to 1, you know, anamorphic widescreen. But then uh, it uses the black bars. So mm. sometimes like when a character is holding a big weapon, it kind of like ex- pops out of the frame. Oh, that's wow. cool. It I looks like it's cool. Yeah. It's just cool. Like I have never seen that done before. Um, maybe like once or twice in in some things, but this show just does it constantly and uses it sort of like three D, and that really also makes it just super immersive and unique looking. So my daughter, it's a it's a bold, it's a real power move. Yeah, because you're yeah. like, I'm gonna leave this area, this extremely limited area of the television exactly. blank, exactly, just for these strategic moments. Especially for awesome. a Netflix show that's yeah. gonna be watched mostly by kids on like maybe a tablet or something you know like you are giving up visual space yeah and i believe even um there's a lot of talk going around about, about the like rules netflix has or the guidelines for how you produce something and typically they're like you know go go 16 by 9 go go you know go for, uh, to use up all that widescreen because that's what people want to see um this show is really just bucking that trend um and it's a lot of fun so if you've enjoyed things like uh avatar the last airbender or the legend of korra um i think it's definitely good enough for adults just to enjoy but if you have a kid in your life who likes stuff like this and wants something that's like you know showing something that's not just the greek gods that's not just superheroes that they've seen before this is just super unique so i think it's worth checking out is it um i I think it's like um rated like seven-year-olds is there is there like yeah. lots of sort of um scary you know bad guys yeah, it's, or anything? it's tvy7 so yeah it, it is, is it, they're scary bits they're they're like skeleton gods and things and like big dramatic moments and maybe some jokes that almost feel like a little mature for kind of what they go for yeah. um but i think it all really works so maybe like older kids maybe five plus um i i'm just a terrible parent so my daughter occasionally <laughs> just sees these things and she she's proven to me like she's just into things and she we talk and she communicates about like when something feels too scary for her and she, you know i'll cover her eyes or fast forward or whatever um so i don't just like let her sit there and kind of consume this whole thing we watch it together and i think it's a really really fantastic show so i really want to i really want to check this out i yeah you know while we're on the topic of, of kids shows um a, a number of people because i talked about um PJ Masks so many times mm-hmm, on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, a number of people recommended uh, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, the new... Oh, yeah, yeah. Which um, my son and daughter uh, both have enjoyed, but it is very, very funny to me. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's Spider-Man and um, and Ghost Spider, uh, Gwen Stacy and uh, Miles Morales, uh, mm-hmm. the three of them going on adventures, fighting Green Goblin. It's very, uh, you know, young, kid-friendly. But it is so obvious that that show was like some executives sitting around at Marvel going, have you guys seen this fucking PJ Masks show? <laughs> they're, they're eating our lunch. They're eating our lunch over here. And and we got the characters. They just invented characters and uh-huh. they're making money hand over fist. Let's yep, just yep. use our characters and do the exact same thing. I mean, it is 
exactly that show. And it's so funny because, you know, PJ Masks oh, generic characters. And it's like Marvel's like, no, we have characters. We can do this. <laughs> Anyway, I am. I'm trying to keep my daughter away from PJ Masks because of your warnings, Jeff. So oh, bravo. Uh, there, there's that. I've heard that. that. I've heard that from a lot of people. Uh, my daughter saw one episode of Paw Patrol and she was like hooked. So this stuff yeah. hits fast. You got to oh, like, be careful. The one I'm terrified mm-hmm. of and I, I, I will jump in front of like I'm, you know, blocking a <laughs> bullet coming at my kid is uh, blippy. Oh God! Don't don't I will even not allow yeah. my, my son at school. They played Blippy at school. And oh I was like, my God! I I will have a sternly worded letter <laughs> to the principal. Not to be confused with Bluey, right? Which Bluey, is great. Bluey's very is good. genius. Bluey is good. Bluey is, yeah. is, is the greatest thing just, ever. I mean, just off by a few letters there, Jeff. Really, yeah. Blippy, really the Blippy difference bad. between amazingness and danger there, huh? <laughs> Bluey good, Blippy very bad. There's mm-hmm. so much bad stuff. So well, that's, it's great when something good. Pops up. That's uh, Maya and the Three. It's available on Netflix. I've heard it's great. Glad you're enjoying it, Devinder. What else have you been watching? Uh, I finally got around to seeing the second Fear Street movie, Fear Street Part 2, 1978, uh, directed by Lee Janiak. I really enjoyed the first one, which was set in the 90s, and I was just like really looking forward to you know following up with what was going on with those characters. That first movie, I think, was a lot of fun. Um, and it had maybe one too many music drops of 90s stuff, uh, but it had some really cool kills. I really like the characters, and they, they, they're they basically building um, kind of a framework story. That 1990s story kind of frames somebody talking about what's happened in the 70s, and the third movie is about the 1600s, 1666. Um, it's kind of cool how it kind of all wraps together, it does basically feel like they, um, you know, made a TV season, except they just chopped uh, pairs of episodes up together. But it is it is cool. I love the ambition of this project because um, every at least these two like have introduced different cast members or whole new people to follow. Um there's just like a lot going on. And this one is more of like um, it's set in a teen camp or like an adolescent camp and it's doing the sort of like uh camp slasher type thing like Jason or something. But uh, I just really enjoyed where this movie goes. Once again, really enjoyed the kids and the music drops. Um, it has a lot of fun with the genre. And uh, if you listen to our Halloween kills review, these, th- these kids, these children, these teenagers <laughs> knew what to do when you have <laughs> the crazed maniac killer, like knocked down, they, they know what to do, and uh, uh, I give it a ton of credit for that. I do want to call out that originally the plan was for all three of the movies to be released theatrically. Yes, I think like every month or something. Yeah, I am. Yeah, like one a month. I'm Over the curious, summer. Like, yeah, uh, if it would have a different cultural footprint, you know, I, if that had happened, right? Well, so they but, what they did is they released yeah basically one every week on streaming over the summer, and there there was buzz around it, but. By now, like it's Halloween time and people want to see horror stuff and I don't see anybody talking about Fear Street anymore. So I don't know. I hope it's not forgotten, but it's really cool. It's like really well done. Um, and I can't wait to see the third one. So maybe sometime soon. Uh, it's just fun. I think it's worth checking out if you like horror. Cool. That's Fear Street 1978. It's on Netflix right now. Speaking of horror, Devendra, anything else you've been watching? Uh, another horror movie set in the 90s. What are we doing here? I watched a VHS <laughs> 94 <laughs> god really um, horror heavy episode tonight. the 90 well also well horror heavy but also like the 90s and horror like we we're just like it's almost like there's something about going back to nostalgia it's mm-hmm. just so tempting 
for yeah. us, uh, as we will be talking about in our main review. Uh, but VHS 94 is sort of like a reboot of the VHS franchise. Um, it features directors that I typically enjoy, like Simon Barrett uh, and Timo Chajanto. Um, it's an anthology movie. Not every not every sequence works really they well. They can't all be winners. They can't can all be winners. <laughs> but I think there's some really cool stuff in here. Um, it's worth watching. Like a late night when you want like that B-movie rush. Um, there, there's a cool one set in like a funeral home that I thought was really well done. That was Simon Barrett's. And Timo's is this sort of like, uh, you know, it's like a body horror, um, almost like robot horror type thing going on there. It's just really cool. I had a lot of fun with it. And uh, there, there's one about a storm drain and a cult that has like continued living on, uh, you know, metatextually on Twitter, which is kind of fun. Um, so uh, I'm enjoying all that. I really enjoyed watching this and I hope they keep doing VHS stuff. I don't recall, I don't even know if I saw VHS 3, but VHS 2 was such a such a killer film. And I really hope like I, every time I go back to this, I just kind of want that rush of seeing vhs2 i think it was during a new york film festival screening or something and just the entire crowd being wowed by so many of those sequences including the you know who it was at the the gareth uh the gareth evans one yeah the the one about the cult like yeah 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 just uh just incredible stuff so this one is worth watching. It's on Shutter right now. So if you have a Shutter membership, you can check it out pretty easily. Their sponsor Shutter, I believe. Yes, ah. yes, their sponsor for this week's episode. Uh, completely unrelated to Devendra Watching. I, did, it, I yes. had no clue. Yeah, yes, yeah. That's 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 how cool they are. Is Devendra sought it out in completely independently. So that's VHS ninety four. I agree. There's uh, several standout segments in there, and uh, I would recommend checking it out if you're a fan of found footage movies. Jefferson Kanata. What have you been watching this week? Well, I checked out Scenes from a Marriage. Uh, the, uh, this is the, the HBO Max remake of the... Uh, Ingmar Bergman movie. Yeah. Uh, I believe movie, right? Movie? Yeah. It's, it, w- it was actually both a movie and a series, if I'm not mistaken. Right? So, I have seen neither of them, uh, got of the original Ingmar Bergman. Have either of you seen them? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And uh, also, well, um, did you ever see Master of None Season 3, by the way? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think uh, Master of None Season 3 was like s- significantly inspired by the original scenes from a marriage, if I'm not mistaken. So, Well, I have yeah. I have no point of reference as to how much this show uh, is similar to the original, the Ingmar Bergman um, original. Um, it certainly feels very modernized. Uh, it deals with a lot of very modern concepts, which I would be shocked to learn were in the original. So I'm, I'm imagining mm-hmm. a lot of this is... <laughs> Is brought up, um, you know, this is... I feel um, like the Ingmar Bergman, you know, they were dealing with, like, Facebook and texting at the time, you know, in 1973 <laughs> yeah, as well. Sure, so. yeah. Oh, man. No, just yeah. joking. <laughs> just joking. No, I think, I mean, yeah. more more like um, uh, polyamory is talked mm. about in this uh, show quite explicitly, uh, which I, I would be shocked if that's sort of a topic, you know, of that time, but maybe it was. Maybe it was. Um, anyway... This is Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain, two actors I really admire, and it is a showcase of what makes them special actors. I mean, they are, uh, it's just them. From I mean, so here's the strange thing. I went into this, uh, you know, it was, I think it was hashtag slash tagged, uh, and uh, a number of people had recommended it. And um, I thought, hey, cool thing to watch with my wife. Let's check uh, it out. Yeah. 
Jeff, did you, did you hear nothing about I heard nothing what about the original it. movie was I mean, about? I, ass- I, ass- I assumed it was going to be some heavy <laughs> topics, but the first yeah. episode, the first episode <laughs> is, uh, is like, you know, scenes from every marriage. Sure, it's, it's, sure, sure. It, it's very universal. I mean, it gets into, like I said, some polyamory stuff that's sort of specific, but also kind of, it's about these people in a very committed relationship, kind of interacting with their friends who are in a polyamorous relationship and it's you know it's interesting and it brings up topics and they're kind of all it's very jovial and and um interesting and thought-provoking and my wife and i were talking throughout it you know and and you know and then the end of the first episode is a gut punch it's very dark it's 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 very uh you know heavy and then you go oh wow okay well let's go into episode two and it's like oh no that's where we are now it's just going to get way worse from here. Uh, every episode after episode one is like, oh, we're not having any fun anymore. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Now we're, now it's not scenes from every marriage. It's this one very specific, super fucked up marriage. They should have called it scenes from a very specific, super fucked up marriage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that saying. would have been more... I think accurate. Should be a warning there for married couples <laughs> watching this together. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think we both, you know, continued, we continue to watch, we watched all of it. Uh, and, uh, you know, you just went for watch every, separately. Yeah. Honestly, the experience that we had, uh, watching this one was we would get to the end of an episode and be like, how are there more episodes? <laughs> we have to watch another one because uh-huh. there's no way there could be another one. Like, do they maybe flash back and see the beginning? No, no, it just continues. Oh wow, and it gets and it gets dark. Okay, it gets worse. All right, okay, we're in it. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's heavy, and there is like there's a very prolonged sex scene that is super graphic between Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. Um, I mean, it is it, it goes there. It is uh, it is very much. A play. It is very much two actors acting with each other, and that, like the first episode, it's like, oh, they're hanging out with other people. They're being interviewed by this marriage council kind of lady. Uh, it's like there's all kinds of other. Be- and then like, no, it's just the two of them, and it's all fucked up, and they're fucked up, and they're all. It's everything's hard, and everything's. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like this show really, yeah, shifts gears after episode one. So it sounds like you're a fan, though. It sounds like you. you I, would I think it's it. very good. I yeah, think it's very okay. good. I mean, it's very heavy, very yeah. heavy, but I think it is very good. Here, here's my question. I've read an article about this show that was about how, like, there is a bookend segment at the beginning of every episode, is my understanding, it's right? The, the next thing I was going to bring up. It's yeah. it's very interesting. Very right, interesting. which is basically, like, you see the actors in the show, like, in, in kind of, like, behind-the-scenes footage at the beginning of every episode, yeah, right? Yeah, the, 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 uh, the way each episode starts is you are in the car or in the dressing room with either Jessica Chastain or Oscar Isaac, whomever starts the episode. Right. And you journey with them through the crew and it's shot during COVID. Everyone's in masks. Yeah. Uh, You see them being touched up with makeup. You see camera being positioned. You see them sit into position for the first shot. And then it cuts to the perspective of the first shot. And then you're in the show and you never return there. You never return there. The article I read was about how this is a very... Uh, kind of disruptive framing device that like rips you out of the reality of the show. And I'm curious. Well, it's at like, the very beginning. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it, 
I put a lot of thought into why they would do that because you, you yeah. see the first episode and it's like, wow, that's really cool. It's maybe showing us that this was shot during COVID. And then it happens in subsequent episodes. It's like, well, okay, so this is going to happen every time. Um, and I think it's, I mean, in, in one sense, it really highlights the acting talent of the, because you're like, oh, this is not who these people are. They're, they're right. acting, you know, yes. it's like shining a spotlight on this is artifice. But, you know, Jeff, this is... but Jeff, in a way, aren't we all acting? Mm. You know, and maybe that's what the show is trying to say. Mm. Aren't we yeah. all acting? Well, that's why I have tons of people in COVID masks in my house touching me up right before I talk to my wife. <laughs> mm, indeed, indeed. Yeah, so, so uh, I, I mean, I do actually, I mean, I'm being sarcastic, uh, but I am actually kind of serious in the sense that my guess is that is part of it. Um, did it work for you? I thought it was b- brilliant. Yeah, I thought it was very... Um... Very evocative, a very, a very interesting choice, and one that that really highlights. Like you are, you are brought into this world knowing that it is staged. Very much pointing out that this is staged, and yet you still are compelled by the relationships of these people. It's 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 Brechtian, right? It's Bertolt Brecht, right? It's saying, "Hey, this is all fake," right before making you care about mm-hmm. how real yeah. it feels. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's impressive and, and, and the, it's sort of the theatrical, right? It's very, uh, it, it's very much a play. It's very much, you know, single location, people just talking for an hour, um, which I love obviously, but, um, but even more so it's like, yeah, we, these actors are, and this crew are like putting on a play. They're, they're, here we go here. We're, we're walking you, you're walking into the theater, you're sitting down, you're about to watch this and then you do. Cool. Yeah, right. I liked it. Uh, you may be interested in checking out the original, Jeff, at some point. I think you would I like that interested. as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm very much curious how how much it uh, expands upon or, uh, you know, diverges from or, or sticks to the original. Uh, I think it was uh, originally six one-hour-long episodes. And, and that's what it is but here. it has been condensed into a, uh, a movie that is three hours long. So... Um, so, you know, choose, choose your poison, uh, as it were, but, uh, that scenes from a marriage. It's streaming right now on HBO max. Uh, it's something I've been uh, interested to check out. I just need to brace myself for the pain. Brace yourself. Indeed. Um, yeah. I, the first episode though, very delightful <laughs> until the very end, until the just end. That is. The end is, the end is rough, but if you know, you turn it off like 10 minutes before the end, it's very delightful. <laughs> hey, I got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor shutter. What's better on a chilly fall night than curling up in front of the TV for a great scary movie? And nobody has a better collection of horror, thriller, and the supernatural than Shudder, the best streaming service for horror. Shudder is the exclusive home for found footage hit VHS 94, which I know you've heard Devendra and Dave talk about. It is a Shudder original. And you've heard me talk about Another shutter gem, Scare Me. Oh, so good. Binge the latest seasons of Creep Show and Slasher, both exclusively on Shudder. Catch new episodes of Drag Competition Show, The Boulet Brothers' Dragula, and the new docuseries Behind the Monsters on the origins and pop culture dominance of your favorite modern movie monsters. New exclusives this month include Nicolas Cage in Prisoners of the Ghostland and the killer shark movie Great White. Another movie I watched on Shudder that 
I thought was so clever, so well done, was host. Talk about a horror movie made for our times. I mean, come on. These are great films. Shudder is an awesome service. I love all the originals, but there's so many classic horror movies too. Incredible selection of thrillers and supernatural movies. Just great genre stuff. And you can get started streaming the best horror, thriller, and supernatural content from Shudder's expertly curated collection, which includes must-see titles like Vicious Fun, The Mortuary Collection, and PG Psycho Goreman. I watched that one too. So much fun! Plus all the best horror documentaries and the hit Creepshow TV series from executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. To try Shutter free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com and use promo code FILMCAST. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T for 30 days free. Let me give you some insight into how we run the Filmcast. Um, there is a show notes document that we're all looking at, and it basically has the run of the show and all the stuff we're going to talk about and what we've been watching. And usually we list everything we've been watching. Uh, but today, Jeff Kanata, in his section, has listed scenes from a marriage and a surprise. Ooh, I love surprise. Yes. Jeff doing usually doesn't say yes. and a surprise. It's great. Yeah. Um, love it. So I am intensely curious, Jeff, what is the surprise in what you've been watching this week? Well, I'm tempted to have you guys guess, but I think all your guesses would would end up being disappointed <laughs> if they weren't true. Disappointing if they weren't true. Uh, I watched this week for you guys because I oh, love boy. you both. Oh boy! Uh huh. I watched Raw. Oh, oh my god! That's great, Jeff. That's that's lovely. Yeah, yeah. I really and appreciate that. I uh, yeah. I was actually I'd forgotten that we decided to record the After Dark uh, without me, but I was going to go into the After Dark and be like surprise, motherfucker! You know? <laughs> oh well, sorry, sorry. No, I feel bad about that. No, but. no, it's okay. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you guys <laughs> recorded it already. Yeah. But yeah. I, yeah, I was going to be like I was here to listen about Titan, but I watched Raw. <laughs> oh, so you didn't see Titan? You didn't see Titan? I have okay. not seen Titan. Okay. No, but okay. but you Got told it. me to. You said Raw was the starter one. It's the yes. one that like is available on Netflix. Yes. I can watch it for yeah. free. Yeah. 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 It's 88 minutes. Yes. I was, you know, I was easy, like, I'm, easy I'm breezy doing it. cannibal movie. Yeah. Easy breezy cannibal movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I know David, I don't know if uh, Devendra, you have said it in quite this way, but Dave, you used, I think you used the term masterpiece. Yes. yes. For yep. raw. Yes. Yep. Yep. I don't share that sentiment, but I, I, I am curious as to why you, call it that i would say that it is a con raw first of all i'm uh, you know I, I have no prep for what i'm about to say so like um you know you put me on the spot a little bit jeff yeah. but I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna give it a shot because i didn't know you were gonna say raw it's it's wonderful that you said that you, you did you what movie. were you guys thinking i was gonna say did you have any, any no ideas? idea no okay. idea i thought no it was clue. gonna be a wrestling thing <laughs> <laughs> surprise something you don't want to hear about <laughs> um so uh why why do i think it's a masterpiece first of all from a sheer sort of imagery perspective right like i think that the quantity of beautiful visually arresting images in raw is pretty unparalleled but mm -hmm. then you wrap that up with like a fairly sort of uh like a, a horror movie 
story that happens to be a metaphor about this girl's sexual awakening. Yeah. And I feel like it, it's functioning on every level. It's functioning as both a piece of art. It's functioning as a piece of, uh, as a work in the horror genre. And it functions as a metaphor as well. That's trying to say something. And so mm-hmm. I think like it hits every single sort of, it checks every box of what I'm looking for out of a film. Um, so that's that's kind of in brief why I would feel it's a masterpiece. For sure. And I, I think I've did, called Did you want to add anything? Yeah, I've called it a masterpiece as well. And I, I love this movie because, yeah, it is so visually arresting. There are sequences in this film that I, I've seen a lot of horror movies. I've seen a lot of like truly messed up, you know, uh, movies yeah. trying to be provocative. I, and I never viewers, seen anybody lick an eyeball. Exactly. Few. Um, uh, okay. Um, few are as provocative as this movie, I think. And then it wraps. It's not just like, hey, look at me. Look at how crazy I could be. It's like it's wrapping this around a story of a young girl who feels genuinely um, like I genuinely feel for her. I feel for her relationship with her sister. And this is a movie that's so much about sisterhood. Um this movie does things that uh, I, I kind of wish like were better in uh, Last Night in Soho in terms of giving us the main character who's going on this crazy journey into like a topsy turvy world, you know, and just genuinely caring about her. I found that fascinating. Also, just the setting of this like crazy, raucous <laughs> veterinarian school. I know, right? That's such yeah. a strange... And apparently, do, do not go how... to veterinarian school in France. That's why apparently things not. are similar to people that too because take it seriously <laughs> people take it seriously but also there are only apparently a couple veterinary vet, mm. veterinary schools and you have to like work really hard to get in so it's like really competitive and bro-y or something uh so it's it's um it's just kind of wild so the way it portrayed that world is cool and i think like yeah where this where this movie goes i just found i i could not look away it felt like a slow motion car wreck that i was watching <laughs> and i loved it not not in a bad way it's just like this is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. And then the way it ends is just like, boop, cherry on top. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh incredible. my gosh, great ending, which we're not going to reveal. Really? I, I, reveal, I, I did oh not agree with God. I thought the ending was not great, but uh, mm, I felt like yeah. it was a weird, like, well, that kind of steals. Uh, that's everything that yeah. is everything but we we need to do it. We need to do a spoiler talk now. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah. That's why I was going to do it in the yeah. after dark. Yeah. But um, yeah. I'd want to rewatch before we did that. But yeah. Yeah. That, it, that is, I'm glad you watched it. Jeff. I think yeah. it's, uh, I think it's an impressive movie on a number of levels. I, I this do, is her first feature. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that amazing. Too. It's, it's, it's like, a, it's a, it's man. a pretty much like, you know, throwing it all on the table and being mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm here. I'm a filmmaker to reckon with. That's, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. She um, actually in interviews has discussed how oppressive it was. She's one of those people like Paul Thomas Anderson after Boogie Nights, you know, like where they made a movie that was like so brilliant. It became like suffocating for them a little bit, you know? Yeah. Cause she but didn't anyway. work like until she directed a couple episodes of servant. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So anyway, sorry. Go ahead. I really want to hear what you think about the movie. Go ahead. Jeff. Um, I think, I do think it's impressive. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. I, I, I feel like uh, the Dave in this situation of like, everybody's like, I love it, I love it. And you're like, ah, I didn't love it. Um, <laughs> and, and I didn't, I did not love it. it for the reasons that you perhaps may think, right? I mm-hmm. did not love it because I was, you know, disgusted or anything like that. In fact, I think, I mean, the, the, the stuff that I had the most problem with is like all the real live animal shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, I mean, like a scene mm-hmm. with a person's arm 
inside a cow is uh, was harder for me to watch than any of the like you know. Uh, film you gotta gore. watch more uh, Doctor Pole's uh, veterinary. I will you know, not that reality show. It's fantastic. <laughs> I will yeah. avoid it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, it wasn't that I was like disgusted. I think mean, there were a few moments where you know I, I was like the hair coming out of things and uh is not great but it, it wasn't that i wasn't squeamish in, in any particular way it just felt like um i thought that the sort of the central metaphor was a little obvious and it didn't i didn't feel like it was saying anything in particular mm-hmm. about it I, I i appreciated the expression of it the, the sort of right, coming right. of age of this woman through the lens of something horrific and how that is is obviously a metaphor for all those feelings that sort of body horror that we all experience you know in uh you know in puberty puberty yeah. yeah uh and 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 beyond i mean obviously this isn't a girl going through puberty but it, it is sort of a girl um leaving Adult home awakening. for the first time yeah. and and yeah. and being you know very much reminiscent of an ex- of experiences that i had of you know going to college for the first time and being overwhelmed and like it's scary and you're you're you don't know how to fit in and your body is acting weird. And so, yeah, I mean, I get all that, but I just didn't feel like it. It felt like it began, began and ended with that central idea, which felt very obvious. Like, Oh yeah, no, I definitely felt that. What else are you saying? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I could, I could see that, but you know, yeah. Jeff, in our last night in Soho review, which I already know what you say in it. Cause we recorded it before <laughs> because this. through the power of time travel, right? Yeah. Through the power of time travel. You, you talked about, you will talk about shortly, you know, how the style <laughs> yeah. you will have already talked about <laughs> yeah. the style, the future. Perfect. Uh, the, the style of the movie last night in Soho was like yeah. really impressive yeah. and, and is enough to overcome any, like many, shortcomings mm-hmm. in narrative for you yeah yeah was that not the case here as well i guess to a lesser extent and maybe just because this particular style mm-hmm. w- wasn't as fun right it's, it's, it's not, like it's not, it's not to be, yeah yeah not yeah. trying to be fun right definitely not fun yeah right uh and i mean there's a very like you said very arresting imagery very uh memorable imagery um i just i just wanted there to be like mm-hmm. another act of this I, story I it it is a short movie, yeah. but there's a lot going on there because it's more than just her entrance into adulthood, right? It is about it is about like, hey, these bonds we have with our siblings who we may not fully understand. What what would it take to like truly cement that? And uh, perhaps you feel like you're maybe a broken person in this world who does not de- deserve love. You know, uh, what, what yeah. is the cost of that for you? And this movie actually explicitly has like a just. I think a very horrific portrait of what somebody would have to go through who has her, you know, tendencies, but we can't talk about more without getting to spoilers. Well, now, Jeff, here's what, here's my reaction of you saying all this. Like, I think it's a very understandable Mm -hmm. point of view on the film. You know, like, I don't think you're saying anything like wildly out of, um, out, out of bounds in terms of like what this movie, I would agree with you that I don't know that the movie has that much to say about it other than through style and imagery, you know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and, and I agree, like it, it is more of an expression of that idea than like, here is a really in-depth commentary that's going to be revealing in ways that you did not anticipate going into the film. Um, but, uh, here's my reaction. Number one, Hey man, that's so cool that you gave this a shot. I really appreciate it. And number two, I do think you should watch Titan. <laughs> 
<laughs> now you have proven because you are ready. Now, now what did you, you are say ready. About the, what did you say about the fascists, <laughs> Devendra? You give them an inch. <laughs> yeah, yep. Now, yep. now your body is ready to to witness the glory that is Tatan. That's my feeling on it. But, but anyway, um, you, so you and, think? Do you think Tatan is a superior film to Raw? No, no, no. I don't think so. No. I don't think so. But I do think that. What it has, I do think it has more to quote unquote say than Raw does, mm. in my opinion. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe now too you much may to find say. what yeah. it has to say objectionable and uh, <laughs> extremely far fetched and out there and upsetting, <laughs> but I do think it has yeah. more to quote unquote say than, than Raw does. Yeah, but Raw um, is a very provocative movie in the framework of like, I think, something very conventional. Yeah, yes. Tan is yes. like. There is no. I can't classify that movie. I can't put that in any box. Yes. So, hundred percent, hundred percent. I was 100%. surprised at how not upsetting Raw was based oh, on the build great. up. Yeah, that's great. Um, I mean, again, there there are some things that are you know not pleasant to see, and there are, but I, I overall it was it, it didn't mm-hmm. it didn't feel like a movie where the, I'm like, oh god, I can't believe, I can't get. I, I I'll be honest with you guys. I was like, you know what. I'm gonna do this, and if at any point While I eating a medium off, rare steak, yeah, I was like, I'm gonna give myself the full uh, license to just turn this off if I sure, choose to. Sure, sure, right? sure. Right? I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody, but I was, you know, I was interested enough to see it through, and I was never at any point, uh, you know, like, oh God, I have to turn away. I, I'm oh, gonna vomit, mm-hmm. you know. I, I mean, I mean, I, I, I will tell you this: after we recommended it on the podcast, I rewatched Raw on Netflix. And it was hard for me to get through. Like there is a scene of like retching on a toilet yep. Yep. that yeah. just seems the to hair, go on for like thing? approximately fifteen minutes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I was just yeah. like, oh my, this is this is way harder to watch than I, even I remember. Um, so I was afraid you wouldn't get through it. But if you feel like you can get through this, I think a lot of people have said that actually Tatan is easier to get through than this movie. So I feel like you could definitely get through Tatan if you could get through this. Movie. Yeah. So I, I guess in terms um, of me, like, the, the scene mm-hmm. where they like, what's that? Say, say it again. I, I think in terms of extremes, maybe uh, maybe this one goes like I think the imagery may be more crazy, but Tatan is is less realistic in terms of like what it's trying to say. But yes, yes, yeah. Tatan yeah. is less realistic. I would agree with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. go ahead. I had a, I had yeah. a harder time watching them, you know, drug the horse. Yeah. Mm. And yep. all that shit. I was like, oh god, what are we going to see? What are we going to see? Got, here? We got a Tony Soprano in here. <laughs> That, that's a reference that only that's only Soprano wow. fans. So, wow. Soprano, Tony Soprano, for those who don't know, like really cared about the lives of animals, love, but love didn't give the, a shit about horse. humans. Love that yeah. horse. Love those ducks. Yeah. Yeah. Pi oh my. Well, Hashtag pi oh my. For me, the difference, I mean. <laughs> yeah, uh, justice again, for pi oh my. Yeah, yeah, justice for pi oh my. Yep. For me, the difference is like it was clear. We, are, we were clearly watching documentary film of people doing something to a horse. Like, you know <laughs> I, I, that's that's where I, I have a hard time. Like I can't watch like actual operation uh, uh, operating table videos. I can't watch mm. real real shit. If I can tell myself, oh, there was a technician who created the blood for this and m- made the prosthetic arm that falls off or whatever, I, you know, I have a much easier time sitting through it. If it's you are about to watch someone, you know, get vivisected for real, I'm like, ah, I can't. Uh. Yeah. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Well, thanks for giving it a shot. The movie yeah, we're talking great. about is Raw on Netflix. Devendra and I really love it. Jeff, it sounds like you didn't hate it or anything. Right? I did not hate it. And yeah. in fact, it's, an ex- it's one of those movies where I'm glad I watched it. It's, a, it's an affecting movie and it's it's different. I mean, obviously different than anything you've ever seen before. It's, it's, yeah. it's a wholly original kind of uh, piece of art. It's just not one I'm, I'm going to. 
Yeah. I would not call it a masterpiece, and I also would not be like, oh, if you have to watch it. I just feel mm. – I'm glad I watched it, though. Mm-hmm. All right. I, th- I think well, it's rare for me when a first movie from a director just feels like, yeah. holy yeah. shit. Like how it, feels like it, it is comes impressive. out fully formed. How? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Definitely very impressive as a first yeah. work. I mean, that is true. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's what we've been watching this week. Let's get to weekly plugs. Weekly plugs the part of the show each week where we plug something that we've created or someone else created. This week, I had a chance to speak with the great Edgar Wright over on Culturally Relevant Podcast. Uh, we talked about Last Night in Soho, the movie that we're about to review on the Filmcast. If you want to hear Edgar Wright talk about what it was like to make that film, as well as recommend some horror films that uh, you might also enjoy if you enjoyed Last Night in Soho, be sure to check out my conversation with Edgar Wright at the Culturally Relevant Podcast, wherever podcasts can be downloaded. I want to hear what it was like to talk to Edgar Wright. It was amazing. I mean, we've we've talked to him before on this podcast yeah, a couple yeah. times, and he uh, he was he's been doing like nonstop press for many, many months. <laughs> um, and so he was kind of tired when I talked to him. <laughs> um, but he is an extremely generous interviewee. You know, like some some people you show up, you interview them, and you're like, you don't know if you're going to get what you need. Like I have done yeah, interviews yeah. with actors who clearly <laughs> did not want to be there at all. Right. Like yeah. who, who barely showed up on time for the interview. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, Edgar Wright is not one of those people. Like no matter what physical state he's in, no matter how many interviews he's done, he's one of those people where it's like, Oh my gosh, I feel like I'm getting like special insight and wisdom from the mind of Edgar Wright, even though he might have already said the same things like 50 times already that day. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so he's just, he's just an awesome interview, like just a very pleasant fellow. I really wish him nothing but the best. But yeah, that's what it's like to interview Edgar Wright. So. Uh, and again, check that out on a culturally relevant podcast. Divinger Hardwar, your weekly plug. Oh, I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget podcast. Uh, we talked about the Pixel 6, that new Google Android phone, which everybody seems to love. Uh, we reviewed that. Uh, I talked about my final thoughts on the MacBook Pros, both of them. And uh, we also got Engadget's Chris Abella on to talk about the Facebook papers and kind of everything we're learning about what's going on with Facebook and how, you know, how pretty you much every thought you've had about, yeah, well, meta now, um, how pretty much every thought you've had about Facebook was kind of true in terms of their lax uh ability to manage their platform properly and uh yeah speaking of meta check out my you know i did some coverage around the uh the developer conference last week um you know and some thoughts on like what they were doing with this whole jump to the metaverse which doesn't exist but you know it could be a thing like uh, jeff you've seen enough vr to be like there is something to this even if it hasn't fully uh you know formed itself yet i mean here's what i'm gonna say uh, about that is that whatever your opinion on that presentation, mm-hmm. it is a bold move to re to like completely pivot the company and then rename the company <laughs> after something you don't know if it will actually work or not. It, yeah. it is or kind if of it will bold actually too. be successful. And so. I do want to say like a go back. I, I've done a lot of coverage around some of the things they've talked about in particular. Uh, they launched this thing called Verizon uh, Horizon Workrooms a couple months ago. And I did this like VR meeting with people and Zuckerberg like sat right next to me in VR, which is a weird experience. But having experienced a lot of like what they're talking about, this full vision of like doing remote stuff and going to remote places in VR, um, there is something to it. You know, there's something really interesting about having 
a virtual meeting with people as opposed to just a Zoom meeting or something. Yeah. All right. That's the Engadget podcast. Jeff, your weekly plug? If you would like your own limerick crafted by me for you, specifically bespoke, made specifically for you or your friend or your loved one, you can get that. You can make that happen at cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. I do them for, I've done so many reasons, birthdays, of course, anniversaries, just saying hello. I, I helped someone. Uh, tell someone else that they uh, got a job promotion. I've had births of children, all kinds of reasons. Well over a hundred limericks uh, on the platform. Oh, I don't even know how many five star reviews. People love them. I hope you give it a shot. It's a it's a great gift. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada is where you get your own limerick. Amazing. And of course, if you want to support this podcast, here's a weekly plug for you. Patreon.com slash film podcast is how you can do that. Sign up for ad-free episodes and or uh, after darks that are exclusive to you, depending on which tier you sign up for. Patreon.com slash film podcast. Of course, we never want you to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Uh, the main episode of the show will always be free. And if you want to support us for free, very easy to do that. Go to Apple Podcasts, leave a star rating or a review for us. It really does help us stand out among the approximately 100 million film podcasts that are out there. Um, but no, so, yeah, not fil- the film podcast. Yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah. we are. That's right. We're the film podcast, but yes. Um, and also uh, a shout out to hashtag slash tag as well. Uh, hashtag slash tag is the hashtag you can use on Twitter if you want to recommend something for us to watch. All right, let's get to our review of last night in Soho. Baby, you don't know what you're saying. What brings you down then? I'm something in my dreams. There was a girl. And you are? Sandy. That was from the trailer for Last Night in Soho, the newest film by writer-director Edgar Wright. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Quote, an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer. But the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker, end quote. Joining us today for our review of Last Night in Soho, her work has appeared at Adam Tickets, and she's the features editor at ScreenRant.com. Alicia Grasso, welcome back to the Filmcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm fantastic. Thanks so much for having me back. I had fun the first time, so I'm excited to uh, to talk about this one, too. Yeah, uh, we had you on for our Green Night episode, which was like, you, you did awesome in that episode. It, it was really great to have you on. And uh, and Jeff Kanata was not on that episode, so I was he like, wasn't. now you have to go through the the gauntlet <laughs> of doing an episode with Jeff Kanata, you know, to really earn your film cast stripes. That's oh, that's boy. when Jeff was actually you were moving to Denver, right? I was. That's mm, right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I was moving yeah. to Denver. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah. See, see, Jeff, she she learned all, but she you know she cased your whole situation out, and uh, yeah, now. Um, now it's going to be uh, the disappointment time. It's yeah, uh, yeah, disappointment that's right. Time. That's right. That's right. So, 
Okay, Last Night in Soho. Uh, this is Edgar Wright's newest film, and uh, I don't know about you all, but like, uh, Alicia, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, your relationship with Edgar Wright's films in the past. Are you a fan of like Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Baby Driver? Like, what were your thoughts on his filmography going into this, and uh, and ultimately, what did you think of Last Night in Soho? Yeah, I I love uh, the Cornetto trilogy. Um, I think you know those three movies, uh, Hot Fudge, Shaun of the Dead, you know, The World's End, I I love them together. And I think Edgar Wright is really, um, he's a student of, you know, we talk a lot about like Quentin Tarantino, right? About being a student mm-hmm. of different genres and film. And, and I don't think Edgar Wright gets necessarily the same sort of credit because he tends to be a student of the more uh, like nerdier genres, the ones we don't take as seriously. And Even nerdier than Quentin Tarantino. It's like another level, yeah, basically. Yeah, you know, and he... Yeah, it's, he's, he's like all the nerd of Quentin Tarantino, but British. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a whole other generation too, right? He's younger, yeah. so yeah, yeah. And so, and like, I even love, like, back in the day, like, I love Spaced, um, mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, which is interesting because you can see so much of what he would do in the future, in his movies. I love um, rewatching space just for that. It's like, Oh yeah you, yeah. you predicted you would be doing a zombie thing or, yeah. you know, some sort of crazy car movie yeah. at some point. Yeah. Um, I do think sometimes, and I saw this a little bit in baby driver, although don't get me wrong. I loved baby driver, mm-hmm. but I think sometimes some of his tendencies are to be a little bit, um, he's very technical. Uh-huh. He's excellent with that. But sometimes the characters then in his most more recent movies have started lacking a little bit. And that was the problem I had with this movie where I could appreciate it mm-hmm. profoundly on a technical level of uh, the artistry, the craftsmanship of it. I think it was phenomenally well done. Um, but it left me a little cold uh, just because I didn't really care about any of the characters um, and the third act fell apart for me a little bit, but I, we will get to all of that, but I will say that I can really appreciate this movie, but I think if I were ranking it in terms of his filmography, it would probably be at the bottom for me, honestly. Mm. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, well, Devinder Hardor, what did you think of last night? So, uh, you know, I'm going to take something from, uh, from Jeff Kanata. I feel like I'm an Edgar Wright zombie from way back, like way back before, <laughs> Even people were really buzzing around space because I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of like online friends in the UK and like people would talk about the series. And so like it is so it's almost like punk. Right. He's making a modern sitcom about stuff. We love video games and uh, genre movies and stuff. And like I remember like like our fandom of Edgar Wright goes back to when it was hard to find Edgar Wright stuff. Basically, everybody's doing Mm -hmm. geeky stuff now. And that was before everybody was doing geeky before it was cool. Yeah. Before the comic book nerds took over the world and everything like Edgar Wright was there. Um, I imported Spaced, I think, in like 2001 or 2002. So like I've been loving that series forever and I've loved all his films. Um, Although I agree, I think. Especially with Baby Driver, you start to see some, uh, maybe some cracks in kind of his formula. That was the first movie he wrote by himself. Uh, I think in a very long while, too. Like the Cornetto trilogy, he's had help with uh, from Joe Cornish and stuff. And he, he, Baby Driver like feels like a response to everything happening you know, with losing Ant-Man and everything. He just wanted to make a kick-ass car movie, and he succeeded in doing that. And this movie similarly feels like he wanted to make a really cool, stylish, 
um, giallo like thriller, you know, set in Soho, London, and uh, to have really great music from the time and just be really cool and stylish. He he is a man of style, and I kind of love that in his filmmaking. Um, I would definitely rank this movie more along the lines of like Baby Driver, where I have a lot of fun with that movie, and I actually live, you know, in around the areas where they shot Baby Driver, so it's kind of cool to even you know, to even be around that. That's the rare movie shot in Atlanta that's actually like, hey, we're we're just in Atlanta. Deal with it, you know? Um, this movie, similarly, I think, um, has weak characters. I think it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun to go on the journey. There are some great, like, technical scenes. There was the first scene where um, Eloise, like, has her dream sequence. And there are scenes where she is just, like, basically mirror imaging mm-hmm. um Anya Taylor Joy, right? And you can see her in the mirror, and like there, there's there's shots where I'm like, how did you, how did you even do that? The way it's kind of connected, I'm sure that like these days it's probably easier than you know than it used to be, but it's just really cool. It looks really cool and haunting and evocative, and that's so much of this movie for me. But I think at the end of the day, I'm very confused by this movie. I think by the end, uh, there were large swaths of the third act where I'm like, what the hell is going on? I don't. I feel like he lost the plot. I feel like the audience lost the plot. I don't know why the main character is running around chasing after people. Um, so many running so, scenes. So many running scenes. Um, and not, it doesn't quite make sense. And, you know, there's twisty stuff at the end. And we'll talk about that. And I don't think that was, like, really well earned. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think, like, sitting and watching this movie um, basically just really makes me want him to direct, like, a musical at some point. And that's not something I really say about many directors because I'm not the biggest musical fan, but he just really works so well. His filmmaking has always worked well with music. And I think he's always done a great job at that. Uh, Scott Pilgrim is one of my favorite movies ever. So, you know, I love him as a director. I think this one, it maybe is a bit of a misfire and we'll talk about like where it goes wrong. I think my biggest takeaways though, is I wish the last act make more, made more sense. I wish the one black character in this Aww. movie wasn't just like, treated like garbage like i don't know what was happening with that character and how he's very charming though very charming he's very charming but why one note and just yeah it's it's not she didn't earn it he did Uh, yeah nothing nothing we will dive into the problems with that uh i think if you watch this movie from like the logic of a giallo movie where those things generally looked cool right like i think the premises of a lot of those movies are cool i'm not the biggest fan of that genre because i think time and again when i try to watch one I feel like it falls apart by the end and I'm just like a little tired of the style and the gore and everything. So, you know, that's just me. Um, but I think th- through the logic of those movies, you know, young country girl goes to the big city, um, is very naive about certain things and, you know, willingly kind of walks into certain scenarios. Um, I, I think a lot of the logic is, is explained if you're watching the movie like that, but you can't really expect everybody to do that. So, yeah, liked it overall, though. All right. Uh, only thing I want to mention is Baby Driver is actually a script that Wright had been developing since like 1995. Um, I can tell. So yeah. it was it was one of his earlier scripts, uh, and it was also I think his most successful movie to date. It was a yeah. huge hit because yeah. uh, it made over action movie. Yeah, yeah. It made over 225 million dollars worldwide, and it was really kind of cool at the time to kind of. Uh, be rooting for Edgar Wright and you know his career, and then like that was kind of his yeah. you know coming out party in the sense that like this is the like one that made oh, the, least ev- sense. the world ne- will know the name of Edgar Wright now after this right and I don't, that was kind of cool at the time. It was cool. I will say it, I did feel a bit bad that the movie of his that made the least sense 
is the one that ended up being like box office, you know, uh, <laughs> like the the one that really uh, won. But I attribute that much to the cast too, like John Hamm, which is everybody. weird to look back at now, considering yep. like yep. how a few of the cast members things have not gone great for them <laughs> from a PR perspective indeed, in the indeed. past few years. Yeah. But uh, that's been unfortunate. But anyway, yeah, it, it's uh, whatever the case, he had kind of a lot of um, a lot of clout, a lot of juice, as uh, has been described in the past, coming out of Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. And he could have done anything, you know, like he could have maybe like he had the option of making Baby Driver 2 immediately. Um, but he chose to make this one. And I really salute the choice Toddler to driver. like. Uh, what'd you say? <laughs> Toddler, <laughs> Toddler driver? driver. Toddler. Yeah. Yeah. I really, yeah. I really salute the choice to like take a risk with a movie like this sure. it's uh, original yeah. like you could tell it's a love letter from him, yes basically. for sure, yeah. for sure. And yeah. i always love those films jeff canada your thoughts on last night in soho well dave i guess you could say my thoughts on last night in soho are best summed up in the form of a limerick you know, I don't, I don't know if uh, Alicia understands like why you're doing this right now. Maybe this is actually explain. why Jeff couldn't be on the first episode. Just <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> I'm just get, rolling with it. Although yeah. my first thought was, I don't know how Irish poem fits with this, but I'll roll just, with it. Just wait. <laughs> well, it's, it's not something I would want to do, uh, nor is it something <laughs> the audience wants to hear. But I don't know if you picked up on it while you were here during the Green Knight show but there is a bubbling rage just underneath the surface for dave chen uh and the only thing that satiates it is limericks and he Mm. he demands demands that there be a limerick in each episode and it falls sadly on my shoulders to deliver that Uh, no one enjoys it you're his black widow Mm -hmm. i am Mm -hmm. i am uh equally manipulated um underappreciated mm-hmm. yeah just touching I have, I have no superpowers softly touching dave's <laughs> hand or with your words and saying yeah. come on also, big guy you, you when you land on the ground from jumping you do a three-point touch on the ground you know every time too. every, every time. time yeah yeah and whip your hair back yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right here is my limerick for last night in soho you don't have to be a cinephile to get lost in this film for a while but with slick camera moves and music this proves you can generate substance from style. Oh, wow. Nicely nice. done, Jeff. Bravo. Nice. Great limerick. Thank you. Uh, I think, you know, obviously we've all heard uh, style over substance. I feel like this is style over substance, yeah, but there's also yeah. substance. There's, there's some, also substance. There's some. Like, yeah. it, I don't disagree with anything that Alicia and Devendra have said thus far, and yet I think I like the movie a lot more than they did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree. I like it a lot. I do want to say that up front too. Like I did enjoy watching. I cannot help but enjoy watching an Edgar Wright movie. So maybe I'm just broken that way. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think this will probably be on my end of the year favorite films list. Mm, I, I have this experience uh, less and less frequently lately, but in this movie, I, they were like, like 20 minute stretches where I forgot where I was. <laughs> I also I think was that like, was true of the movie, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't mean that as a, as yeah. a pejorative, uh, as you seem to think, but I, I was transported. I was like, mm-hmm. I just was so inside the movie universe that I kind of lost, uh, you know, awareness of being in a movie theater. And I love that feeling. It's this transportive, you know, promise of cinema that I, like I said, happens less and less to me. And um, it was an amazing experience. I think the first two acts of this movie 
are so fun. And mm -hmm. because of the style, because there's not really anybody that makes movies quite like this other than him. He, he is, it, it is stylistic, but it's stylistic in, in service of a story. He is using, there's a, so many flourishes and so many, you know, show offy kind of things that happen, but all of them are rooted in conveying the essence of what's happening to my mind, at least. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it works like it, it doesn't, they don't feel like show off moves. They don't feel like I'm doing this with the camera just because I can. It's because, oh, wow, that's really the best way to convey the magic of what is happening here. And I really thought the beginning is magical. I mean, I guess technically the, the genre of this movie is a thriller or horror, mm -hmm. but like yeah. for most of the movie, it is not at all. For most of the movie, you are having just this wonderful, at least I was having this wonderful <laughs> time uh, experiencing great music and this sort of luscious, sumptuous visual style and this time period that is so romanticized here. I, I was having a blast. I really, really loved it. I have a massive issue with <laughs> the end, as it sounds like you two do. And I have a very specific yeah. thing that I want to mention in spoilers, but um, I, it did not sour the experience for me. I still thought, I felt like it fumbled the ball right at the goal line, but I had so much fun, you know, driving down the field that, mm -hmm. you know, I'll give them the touchdown anyway. Wow. I really, wow. I really made that work. I really wow. made that analogy nice. work. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. You're just kind of uh, slipping and sliding at the end there, but you kind of <laughs> slid into the end zone. Yeah. yeah, good, yeah. good job. <laughs> <laughs> you, at the end, you got the field goal and the, and the extra point conversion. Okay. Anyway. Um, so I'll just share a few thoughts, and then I think we really, really got to get the spoilers. But I really love this movie. I think I shared Jeff's thoughts almost exactly, which is that I had such a great time with this movie. I thought it was extremely stylish, really well done, and like a huge departure from anything Edgar Wright has done in the past. You know, like mm -hmm. I just think it's yeah. it is a step change from anything he's done, and I just got to admire any filmmaker that challenges themselves, and and not only that, but like. Again, you know, he he probably had the opportunity to make something like a safer choice, and he chose to he chose the the path less traveled, yeah, um, and tried to get an original movie out there. And I really He's feel like challenging himself. Uh, yeah. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree that I agree, and uh, and so I, I really admire that. And I think that I I would agree with you that the last third of this film is not as strong as the first two thirds. Like, I, <laughs> I, I definitely agree there. Um, but I think that fundamentally what he is trying to do with this film is talk about how nostalgia can be dangerous and an illusion, right? Is talk about how like, hey, remember the good old days? Well, in reality, they were probably not the good old days or they weren't the good old days for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I think that that being the main purpose of what he's trying to say that did land for me. And I think that like it, it basically to the extent the movie's trying to say that it accomplished its goal. Again, I think there's some complications that come into the end, right? <laughs> but, but, but putting that aside, I feel like, yes, everything Jeff said is, is correct. Like it's so it's stylish. Amazing. It's yes, so, right. it's so well-made. Um, and, and in particular, right. When, when Eloise's dreams begin and she starts getting like all that stuff of her getting transported back in time and how they show kind of how thin the barrier between present and past is mm -hmm. yeah. visually in the movie is just brilliant I thought. and and there's no right. 
exposition as to why this is happening or how this is happening. Yep. It is all conveyed through filmmaking, through, yes. the, through the way that the camera moves, the way the images interact with one another. And mm-hmm. I love that. There, it didn't, the movie never st- stops and says, here's w- the magic that is happening. It is all just conveyed elegantly through, through the juxtaposition of, of the imagery. And I, I'm, it's, it it's, does it does set up things at the beginning though. Like I just want to make it clear. One of the very well, first conversations in this movie is like, "Are you seeing things again? <laughs> Hello, girl who sees things. Well, you may be supernatural." One throwaway line. You know, yeah. And not, you see her dead mother in the mirror too several times. So it's like yeah. it's, it's there. It's true. It's true. It's true. That it's not like there's no setup. But I would agree that it is screaming they, supernatural at you at the beginning or something. Something. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it is not as didactic or ex, as expositionary as it could have been. I would say. Yeah, um, it doesn't explain the reason for her visions. Right, right. It's just but, it's like she has them. Accept it. Let's move mm-hmm. on. Which yes. I appreciate. I know yeah. you have the shinning. Basically, <laughs> I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, it's very much like the the, the shining in that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the shining isn't about. The fact that people have superpowers, like people have superpowers is like, oh, and also people have superpowers. <laughs> right. It's, it's like a back, you know, like yes, background yes. dressing, basically. Yeah, exactly. Event, it's like right? what, yeah. what a whole movie would be about is this kid has superpowers. And in The Shining, it's like, <laughs> well, no, it's not about the fact that he has superpowers. It's the fact that he's in this place with the superpowers. Yeah. And that's kind of how this movie operates, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we just accept a priori. She can, you know, see dead people, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. it's not really about that, you know. I, yeah. like, I just, the the setup. I just want to say the setup is very strong because they introduce that because it's going to go supernatural. They introduce fast moving cars because that's going to be important later on. You know, Edgar Wright <laughs> is always giving you the setup. Uh, go ahead, Alicia. Sorry, I was just say you mentioned uh, before that you think you see it as a message of you know not letting uh, this kind of nostalgic view of the past kind of, you know, let us view it with rose colored glasses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and it occurred to me that I think I read it as yes, but I think on top of that as well, it's a critique of, I think the way that we put certain celebrities on pedestals. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking, you know, it comes to mind, uh, what's happening with John Mulaney in recent months, how Mm -hmm. he's gone through a lot with his, divorce and then being with Olivia Munn and then all of that. And then he's kind of gotten torn apart. And it's like, well, because you guys put him on this pedestal of thinking that he was somebody that you you didn't actually know him. Mm -hmm. You only saw him in brief interview clips and on stage. And that's a very crafted persona. Um, You know, you didn't actually see who he was behind closed doors and he's deeply flawed like the rest of us. Um, and you see a lot of that with Eloise and Sandy, where Sandy at first, you know, appears to be flawless and everything that yeah. Eloise wants to be. But then that slowly or actually pretty quickly, I would say, unraveled. And so I thought that was an interesting kind of juxtaposition with what we see today with how people think they know celebrities through the tiny windows of social media. Yeah. And then but they're not at all like that. It is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a weird way, kind of an indictment of parasocial relationships. Absolutely. I, I would agree. Um, but, you know, th- that's not that's not the main topic. But I think you're right that there is definitely some component of that there where um, we see all the people that are uh, rich and successful and famous. And we don't necessarily see, A, what it took to get there, and B, all the people that tried and didn't make it. Right. And uh, I think kind of that's what this movie speaks to. So, uh, all right. Why don't we get to spoilers for Last Night in Soho, starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. You're going to see this coming. 
No. But you won't find it because, of course... They're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right, Alicia Grouso, tell us about some of your challenges with the ending of Last Night in Soho. Um... You guys have alluded to how there was a lot of running, a lot of running around by the main character. I'm curious, like, yeah, what, if you could characterize your issues with how this movie ended, what would that be? Um, I think I had two kind of main issues with it. One is that I know this is another movie that he said he'd been thinking about for since like the 90s. Like he'd been wanting to work on this for ages. He's had this idea. And it almost feels like one of those ideas where he had like the first two acts like really solid in his head. And then, but didn't quite know what to do with the ending. And it really shows because the first two acts are so tightly crafted and they're so well plotted. And then the third act goes almost a little bit, a little bit too giallo or, and it gets a little like what's really stylish turns a corner and almost becomes a little bit corny Mm -hmm. and cheesy. And it seems a lot of, there's a lot of, um, the intensity ratchets up, but it's not really earned, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the final twist, I don't think, is necessarily earned either. And it hinges on that question. You know, it's, it's one of those plots that hinges on the around one person not asking like one simple question. Um, <laughs> well, mm-hmm. the problem I, from my perspective, sorry, I don't mean to no, cut no, you off. Do you have more to say there? I would say that we can get into this later because I think Devendra mentioned this too. Mm-hmm. But the the whole the whole like implied rape scene with the black you know the only black character and like it it's was a bad just, look it yeah. was very bad and then he just like forgave her and was fawning all over her it was just a really weird really um like mm-hmm. kind of very tone deaf uh storyline all the way through yeah mm-hmm. so like many movie I would mm-hmm. say the movie could have probably done more to reckon with it's playing with very loaded imagery there, basically. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the movie could have done maybe more to reckon with that. The sure. the idea of her friend uh like being potentially perceived to be a like assaulting her, basically, yeah. right? And uh, that's so. I mean, that character too is nothing is the thing. Like he is the guy who, you know, tries to talk to her at the beginning, tries to help her with her luggage. Um you, you don't know if he's a creep or not in that first scene. But more and more, like he comes on being just like a nice, a very a guy who's very persistent, I guess. Um, but nice overall, nice guy. But that's all he is. He's only there to serve her needs. But There's she's no also not anything there. either. She she's also not is, yeah. she's she's a she's a weird girl that yep. ha- that's unstable. That's it. That's her entire character. And I was just I, I just didn't really earn yep. why he was so obsessed with her. I think you guys are underselling a little, you know, obviously I like the movie more than you all, but like, I think you're, you're underselling a little bit that I feel like the movie does a really good job of capturing her as a character, at least like the, the, you were, you were talking about how tightly crafted the first two thirds are. And I feel like that's underselling how good the first two thirds are like her arriving in the city and like how dangerous everything feels mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know it's, yeah. it's a little bit her cliche, roommate situation there's like threats everywhere and you just your heart goes out to this person and i feel like yeah. all that Very stuff relatable. is really well constructed from her yeah. from yeah. her side I, I i can take the criticism of her uh her friend 
But I feel like from her perspective, I, you know, I definitely am like invested in her as a character and want her to succeed. Yeah. Um, but I understand like if, if uh, you know, that whole dynamic didn't necessarily work for people. Jeff Kanata, I think you had you had something you wanted to say about what didn't work for you about the end. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it, it's it's a much um, more focused uh, issue. I I'm, the biggest problem I have with this movie is that it cheats. Um, mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. it, it shows me something that turns out not to be true mm-hmm. instead of, and then the twist is like, oh, that thing we explicitly showed you played out differently than we showed you. Yeah. So, so you're talking not, about the scene when like she gets assaulted, like there's a knife stabbing and you're yes. thinking, oh, she's yeah. dead, right? Her throat right. is hanging um, open. It, it, yeah. it, it, yeah. There's not a way to read that scene the way it actually happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I need to re- see the film. Maybe I maybe I. No, no you're, you're but, correct. Yeah. yeah it, well, it feels like the movie, instead of shooting it in such a way that later on I can go, oh my gosh, I completely misread that scene. I went, oh, they just they just lied to me. They just they just I, showed me the way it did not happen. Mm-hmm. And then the way it actually happened, they revealed later. Well, and, here, here's what I'm going to say. I was very keenly aware of this when I was watching a movie as well. I don't think you're quite characterizing it correctly. I think that they it, it, it is heavily implied. And the thing that really where I agree with you is Thomas and McKenzie is shown looking at what happened. Yes. Right. Like mm-hmm. she's shown seeing what actually occurred. So yes. theoretically she should know that it was Anya Taylor Joy's character doing the stabbing. Right. right. Like, and then later it's revealed, no, it was, it was Anya Taylor Joy doing the stabbing and like she had misunderstood. And that is confusing. Like, it would be one but thing like, if, but, but basically way- aside from that one fact, I do think it is possible to read it as it quote unquote actually happened. Um, if, Tom, if Thomas and McKenzie's character had been like looking away, you know, or seen a knife flash and then looked away, you know, like then I think it yeah. would have worked. But I think you're you're right about that fact. I don't think it's quite as bad as mm-hmm. you're saying it is, but I agree with you. It does cheat a little bit. They, well, they I, kind it, of imply... it made me want to re-see that that scene yeah, yeah, because yeah. I wanted to to check that you know how much I was projecting. Um, but it feels like it could have been shot in such a way where the revelation would would explain why it was shot that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. you that you have sort of a lingering sense that something is not quite right here. And then, oh my gosh, that payoff feels so good because now I understand why I felt that. Instead mm-hmm. of just feeling like the movie betrayed me, you know? I, I think they also imply mm-hmm. they could they could have been drugged, maybe. And that could have affected her psychic vision-y stuff. I don't know. Yeah, and then yeah. I think that's the one... I think that's the limitation, right? Because it's kind of the pro mm-hmm. and con of not really describing her powers or how she got them or how they work, um, which I appreciate because it, it cuts out the exposition. It's just like she has these things, these powers, she has these abilities, let's just roll with it. But then when you get to the point where... Um, the that the pivotal turn or misread of her vision might have been better explained with a little bit more explanation of how it might have happened that way, yeah. or even a line at the beginning where her grandma was, you know, kind of bringing up her mom and how her mom had these visions too. Like, you know, I don't know, a line like referencing like maybe it's not always what it seems, or you know, something like that. I think. Right. Or Might just have, remember, if you're ever drugged, your visions will be different than what the reality would be. You know, yeah, I mean, it's like something <laughs> real, not something that like, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like just just something, a little tiny thing. Like I'm, I'm with Jeff where I think in the case of her powers, like that's where the limitations, the flip side of that is that when you need at least a little bit of a hook to have hinted about that coming. So it doesn't, it feels earned. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really have that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, simply, I think, you know, like shooting it from, 
behind or something where you see his back and then you just see blood flying and then you you know you go mm-hmm. oh obviously she assumed that the blood flying was right. you know Anna Taylor Joy's blood and then we find out oh my god it was his blood I think I mean obviously yeah. whatever you shoot it in a million ways but there are I feel like the way you shoot it instead of you know having her like right there looking at the knife going in and out you know it's like and then well, open how throat. could she misinterpret like it, that yeah yeah yeah, I, I I I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Um, and and yeah, that does make the twist. It is a twist in the sense that it's a surprise, but it doesn't necessarily then feel like a twist that you could have figured out. Basically, exactly. Right? And yeah. that just feels like a cheat, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All that said, l- let's put that aside. Is there, Davinder, are you going to say something? Or uh, I um, mean, listen, there's a lot to add, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. All, all that said, putting that aside, let's say let's say it did play fair. Right. Let's say mm-hmm. uh, it shot it in a way, and, and you know, uh, when we revisit the film, we may conclude that it was more fair than we're describing right, right. now. Right. Yes, like, I agree. But let's say it did play fair, and it showed it in the you know in the way that made, left it open to interpretation. Like, how do we feel about the end, which is that like what we find out the truth is, which is that basically she murdered all these people. Yeah. Uh, it and was she it was Anna character. Yeah, it was always her. It was, and by the way. It's super cool that we have Diana Rigg and yeah. Terrence Stamp in this movie, right? Absolutely, like these are cool. both like yeah. Yeah. titans yeah. of uh, British cinema, and you know it's awesome to see them both in film. This is Diana Rigg's last movie. Um, she, it's just it's incredible that she gets she got to be a badass in both this movie and Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm I'm really glad for that. But Alicia, I'm curious, like, uh, how did you feel the ending worked from a uh, plot perspective or from a thematic perspective? Like, what did you think of it? I think thematically it worked well. Um, the whole movie, and I wrote this, you know, in a piece I wrote about it, um, that the the violence in it, it's not particularly scary, you know, from a horror perspective. And it's I not agree. particularly gory except for the the scene where she gets stabbed. And that's very stylized, you know, mm-hmm. the, the blood's a like neon color. It's very, you know, over the top. Um, the horror of it is just being a woman in the world from the very first moment where she gets in the cab, you know, Eloise and that mm-hmm. creepy guy is like just gross and like implying that he'd sleep with her to everything Sandy goes through. Um, and so it's kind of a cathartic moment, I think thematically about, you know, just a woman lashing out in her rage. Um, but even then it turns her into the monster. Yes. And that, yes. Ma- that I think a lot of, I don't think he intended to do it. I just don't think he was thinking when he did it that a lot of the people in this movie that should not have been punched down at were. Mm-hmm. And one of those is Sandy, who went through something horrific. And you know what? If I had been raped by dozens, hundreds of men, I probably would have snapped and defended myself too. And uh, in the end, it turns her into the to the murderer and to the monster mm-hmm. and turns her against, you know, the other you know female protagonist in the movie and i understood it but it didn't quite sit right with me mm-hmm. it's yeah, such the a moment where the, yeah. the moment where all the the sort of horrific uh older men demon faced guys start saying help us help us it's like oh well no why are you sympathetic yeah. you know i like, will <laughs> say the ghosts yeah. were really well done i thought the yeah. ghosts were creepy like it didn't try to get too grotesque that I thought was really well done. I agree. Mm-hmm. That effect, I don't think I've ever seen it quite 
you Mm-mm. like that in any movie before, which is really cool to find a unique way to, to convey that. But there's a moment where they like kind of become human again and are like, just help us. And it's like, oh, movie, are you really telling us that these, <laughs> right, right. these are the victims here? I don't know. It was, And she yeah. says no. Like specifically, she's like, no, no, yeah. fuck that. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, but at that turn, that turn with grown up Sandy just felt like, what, what are you doing? You are you are stabbing your movie in the throat, basically, like whatever you're trying to say feels like you are you're kind of second guessing it and just like the power of the imagery and everything. I don't know. I felt like there was more power in Sandy, like being maybe she could be a dignified murderer, but not have to like go off and try to kill the main character who's being nothing but like trying to help this person she thought existed Because she's in the basically past. like yeah. a serial killer at the end. Yes, she's right? a serial yeah, killer. Exactly. Like, it before, could be a friendly serial killer. Up until sure. that point, she's theoretically like defending herself maybe, yes. but like yes. when she decides to kill Eloise and her friend, she's yeah. kind of like a serial killer at that point. And, and, and it doesn't yeah. really make much sense. Like she thinks the cops are going to be so, you know, b- believe this girl so much that they're going to start searching the house for bodies. Like that's, right, right. it just seems like a kind of a big stretch to go, well, I guess I have to, Murder this girl and her boyfriend. Maybe, you know? maybe hi, yeah, murdering the person who lives in your house is not the best way to stay under the radar. You know, she, yeah. she was also super pragmatic and level-headed throughout yes. the whole movie, and yeah. then yeah. turned to this super campy, like right over the top. And that's I, th- I think that's what I mean by it went a little bit too into the genre, where mm-hmm. it was like, um, you you played it straight with the with a lot of this, <laughs> some parts at least with her character, and so it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if I'm to defend the move, if I'm to defend that choice, right, which you you are free to reject my defense, right? But if I'm to defend the choice, I think it's that like the first third of the movie is like very ultra realistic, right? In the sense that like very little happens that uh, could be perceived as like taking place outside the bounds of our reality. And as the movie goes on, like she, obviously she has more vivid dreams and more upsetting things happen, but like, it seems like the very nature of the reality of the film is dissolving as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think you, you, one could read that as like in, in a charitable way. One could say like, Oh, that's like what he, what he is trying to do is he's trying to like start from a place that's very grounded that we all know. And then like unmoor it and like make it feel like, Oh wow. I don't know what's real anymore. And what's sure. not. And, you know, that's like a charitable way to read it. An uncharitable way would be like, yeah, like he kind of lost control of the storytelling mm-hmm. and and the style of the film. Um, so I think it's it just it kind of depends on what you, you know, what you're looking for in a movie like this to some degree and kind of what your preferences are. Does that, yeah, Alicia, yeah. how does that strike? How does that defense strike you? Do, do you buy any of that? Um, I'll just say you're a much more charitable person than I am. <laughs> Which is not uh, words that have been typically I, used to describe me, by the way. I'm, yes. I'm not going to, I mean, I can definitely see that reading. Um, you definitely could read it that way. I, I just don't know that mm-hmm. it was intentional. Like if you land on that reading, great. But I think it might be one of those things where, you know, the, you know, he looks back and goes, oh, that's how you read it. Yep. That's what I meant. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. sure. You know. and, and I can't deny that one's experience of watching the movie, regardless of that reading, might be like unpleasant. You know, you might feel like, wait, why are we doing? Why are we here? Why? Like, I I thought we were watching like a very grounded story about this woman being a fashion designer. And now, like, I don't, it seems like supernatural stuff is happening left and right. And, and I, don't, I don't think that's that's never, definitely not our complaint. Right. You we know what sure, we're yeah. getting into here. Yeah. It's yeah, more yeah. like. Get, ground it in the characters you gave us. You know, what I love about the Cornetto trilogy and Spaced, to be honest, and certainly Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim, a movie with like 
you know, 20, 30 characters and everybody just seems like very well motivated and they have their own payoffs and they have like an inner life. Whereas uh, this movie at, at the end and certainly Baby Driver 2, the characters just start to act false. They were and, all ciphers. Yes. They were all. Yes. Yeah. And then you lose it. You, you kind of lose the magic spell that the movie puts on you there. I can, you know, I'll, I'll happily keep watching to the end, but it's just like, I feel like there are, there's lost potential there to do something better and to be more true to these characters. So I think it's specifically like the way it betrays the, the older Sandy. Um, I think that's what hurts most for me in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that you felt one, like the yeah. older Sandy character played by Dana Rigg, like didn't quite match up yeah. with kind of what you were seeing and hoping for from the, the younger version. Is that right? I mean, that maybe that's part of what the, the movie's trying to say, but it's also like this, this woman's had a pretty tough life. You know, even if she murdered like 30 dudes and buried them under her floorboards, like fuck those dudes, you know, I, you know, I kind of had the same, not to, I mean, I kind of had the mm-hmm. same issue with Halloween kills. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, there was the a weird, yeah. like the town turns into a mob. Yeah. Understandable. Mm-hmm. And then there's that weird moralizing message where like, maybe the people have become monsters too. And I'm like, who are the real monsters, Alicia? <laughs> who are I'm the real like, monsters? I asked this you. man just walked out of a burning <laughs> building and murdered like 37 cops and, you know, 372 like firefighters. And you're, you're trying to inject a moral, like moral message in here about maybe the people are the true. Mo- like, are you kidding me? So I, I think kinda- it was the monster that we all had along the way. <laughs> right. So I kind of felt like that about this, where it was like, you set up this whole movie about this this girl being horrifically used and traumatized and being down and prostituted around. And then the one person that actually like recognizes it does it in the most creepy way possible uh, with the cop. And then you turn her into the monster at the end. Like she's the real villain right. of the right. movie. Like what? So again, and, I, and again with that, and then with the story of just the arc of the black character who I honest to God cannot remember his name because he was so John. His name is John. John. Thank you, John. And he was so sweet and I really mm-hmm. liked his character, but I don't he, think yeah. Edgar Wright thought a lot about how these are. He was so devoted to the genre and to that, the stylistic element of it. I don't think he really necessarily understood how some of these character mm-hmm. arcs were coming across and what message it would send that that scene turned my stomach because just yeah. an accusation of a black man doing anything you know inappropriate with a white woman and running will, from the cops and running from the cops will get you killed and America. having to run over yeah. broken glass you know and tearing his feet open like and the and next day he's like are, are you okay anything. yeah and she doesn't dismiss it she doesn't yep. mean it's like no oh my god like this is and yep yep well, I think those are all valid points to bring up about this movie. And yeah, I I felt similar to you all when when watching that scene. I felt like, oh, this, the I wish like I feel like this imagery is being deployed in a way that isn't necessarily going to be fully reckoned with in the course of the film. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I definitely see where y'all are coming from there for sure. Um, I, I do want to say shout out to like Anya Taylor Joy for being a consistent joy in kind of everything she does. Her she's so good. The solo singing sequences in this to downtown which is in the trailer i didn't realize it was her singing it in the trailer but just it gave me chills she is she is way too talented and uh yeah it hurts for me the scene that really hit home you see much of it in the trailer Mm -hmm. is the first dream sequence you know yeah that Mm -hmm. thing is such a tour de force 
And the dancing when, where they they switch the switch the, dance, the, yeah, the, the visuals, characters like, and yeah. and she her seeing like the what is it um the mirror a thunderball yeah. is playing at the thing, oh yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah. like so cool. walking into the old like 1960s area yeah. Soho area you know like all that stuff was just yeah I don't know, those mirrored that staircase with those crazy mirrors all of, along yes. it mm-hmm. oh, incredible many of the mirror scenes like the the one scene where she's like, kind of like looking at herself in the mirror. Uh, I think you probably can deduce that, uh, you know, I, I interviewed Egaret and discussed this, that like those scenes were done in camera, like practically, yeah. like they basically had like a yeah. cool double set and they like made it so, so that, cool. uh, so that Thomas and Mackenzie could act across from Anya Taylor-Joy and uh, that, you know, his, his um, speculation with that was that that would great, greatly improve Thomas and Mackenzie's performance, be able to like act alongside versus like doing it in green screen later. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. Saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that it really does work. And so yeah. for me, like that, that entire opening sequence where she has the first dream was so spectacular. Unfortunately, I don't think the rest of the movie, like, like comes up to that level again because that sequence mm-hmm. is so amazing. You can almost um, tell like but, Edgar Wright dreamed about that sequence for yeah. decades. Just like, yeah, Beat that's beat. what I was saying. Thought like you could tell that, like it. there were certain parts. Those, mm-hmm. those are the ones he'd been thinking about forever. Yeah. Um, but that was to me was amazing. Like I had so much fun in that scene, watching them and going, "Okay, how did they do this?" Because yes. I know this is practical. Yeah, like it's Edgar Wright, so I know this is practical. <laughs> but how did they do this? You it know? is such and, a and, it's such a delight that that whole sequence and the way it's ex- executed technically and and um and yeah, and then when they start dancing and that's that scene is what I think makes people like Devendra and many other critics say like Edgar Wright needs to direct a musical because there's just so mm-hmm. much joy in the music and the dancing there, you know, that mm-hmm. I feel like really comes across. Well, I, I think um, he's just such a great kinetic director too, and that was true honestly even in space with like nothing budgets like uh sean the dead like actually when he got to make action movies you know like hot fuzz and scott pilgrim like and baby driver like dude is just like showing off being basically um the second coming of sam raimi or something you know mm. so yeah i i want him to do a musical i want him to like have everything he needs and maybe a little more writing help down the line you know in a weird way i feel like this would be a really fun double feature with cruella oh yeah sure because they're both steeped in that mid-century you know mid-60s um london uh time but cruella is the punk side of that and uh you know where where last night in soho is the mod side of that and i think that would make such a fun (laughs) companion they both are very, they also very like, both flowery make... directors, they... those guys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They also both theoretically make uh, characters who are monsters into characters who we sympathize with. Exactly. <laughs> one Until, of them skins well... dogs. You know? <laughs> the other one uh, murders people well, who have like done wrong dogs. to her. You know? Skins dogs. I would argue that one director was more faithful to their character <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, throughout yeah. the movie, and it was not Edgar Wright. <laughs> Snap. I don't know. I feel like Cruella really didn't convey the dog skinning component to that character either, personally. But I I would agree that. It's the multiverse version. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Cruella into the multiverse, basically. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Well, any uh, any closing thoughts on this movie? Uh, I feel uh, like we've done a. Yep. Go ahead, Devinder. One thing I want to mention is like the the final scene, the final like happy happy mono, uh, you know epilogue. Uh, her grandmother's there. Her grandmother hasn't died dramatically, which always happens in these movies. Uh, <laughs> the boyfriend is still there. She sees Sandy in the mirror and, and gives her a little boop. I'm like, this woman just tried to kill you. What are we? What? what? See, okay, I will say as a woman, I understood that scene because 
there is a sympathy there from a woman to another woman that she understands how badly abused she's been by the Mm -hmm, world mm -hmm. and by the men around them and by just beaten down. And I think it's, it's sympathy for the devil, right? It's, 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 she under, yes, Sandy tried to kill her, but even before that scene, when she turned back and saw Sandy sitting there, yeah, like realizing the horror of Sandy's life, she forgave her and she tried to get her out of the room before Sandy just sat there and let herself, you know, burn, which is also another incredible shot. Um, so I think, that there is some people read it as sinister, like Sandy being like, I'm coming back for you. I mm. kind of read it mm-hmm. as Sandy, like nodding to her and being like, like a final goodbye. Like, thank you for seeing yeah. me. I'm glad, yeah. thank I'm glad you for understanding felt, my story. I'm glad it felt yeah. better for you. I think my mouth was just, I was just a little bitter after <laughs> everything that happened in that fiery fiasco. <laughs> you could have gotten to the bedroom fire scene without any of that mess is the thing. Like, uh, anyway, I, I, uh, I do <laughs> just want to highlight that fire scene i thought that was like kind of cool like visually you know when incredible the, yeah. the, the yeah. house is getting lit on fire at the end and everything's completely falling apart it, it was like throughout the film the movie has been steadily upping the visual stakes like you know yeah it starts very like the, again the opening scene we discussed of the first dream it's it's very grounded it's very like she's just stepping into this world and it, it like it's it physically it, be, it behaves like the world that you and i know and then as the movie goes on, things become less and less, quote unquote, realistic. And it kind of reaches its height in that final fire sequence. Like her not yeah. dying of the poison, even though yeah. the yeah. even though Sandy basically says, you're going to die within a few minutes. And then she doesn't. <laughs> and then she gets stabbed and continues to fight for 15 minutes and survive a fire. I did like I did like the, uh, <laughs> the fact yes, that I as I said, less realistic <laughs> as time goes on. I like the I like the uh, I didn't drink it. Aha, I knew you poisoned it. Aha, I didn't poison it. I poisoned something else. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. Very Princess Bride, like iodine yeah. powder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I also thought it was it was sort of unintentionally funny. Uh, again, I loved this movie. I, I think it's going to be on my yes. end of the year list. And I, I, I think Dave, Dave, uh, Dave and I are kind of on the same page about this one. But um, I did I did think it was kind of unintentionally funny that <laughs> Matt Smith isn't uh terrence stamp <laughs> some other guy was terrence yes. stamp you know Sa- sam just... clayfin for one scene like you got sam clayfin just to do like one scene and then he's out and then he's the entire thing that the whole like movie hits but it's on. so funny it's like yeah, yeah. That only that only works because because it's a movie because it's two different actors playing a, a guy, you know? Like yeah. you, when you're back in time, I don't think you would missee someone. I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe you know, people it's change, hilarious. But- it's kind of like um Westworld season 1, you know, if you remember that, like basically yeah. uh minor spoiler, well actually major spoiler for Westworld mm-hmm. season 1, but like in Westworld season 1, you you think you're watching two uh, t- you know, sort of sets of characters contemporaneously, but then you right. discover that one of the characters is actually a different character at, at an earlier point in time, and that yeah. only works if because it's a show where they're using two different characters, right? Right. Like, yeah. two, right. Different two different actors. Yeah. Two different yeah. actors. Yeah. Because play. the whole movie, I'm like, wow, yeah, Matt Smith kind of does look like a young Terrence Stamp. The way they're walking, the way they're yeah, like yeah. The, the whole like kind of yeah, mm. yeah. the way they walk, the like sinister and, vibe. Uh, it's like yeah. it's, it's a twist that only works in a movie. Like it only works because it's a movie. It's it's not you know. Yeah. And it's kind of a funny moment when it's like, oh my god, he's dead, and his name is Laura, you know, Lauren or Leslie, Leslie, Leslie. 
like that. Yeah. You're like, it what? seems no, like that's not Jack. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny. But she's just sort of like, oh, oh, well, shit. I guess I'll walk Sorry. away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. man killed. Yeah. yeah, this all could have been cleared up if you'd just been like, "Hi, my name's Eloise." You know, like, exactly. "What's your name?" Like, <laughs> it's the Homer backing into the fern gif you know but also way to set yourself way to be like as creepy as possible guy mm-hmm. he's like mm-hmm. i watch all the girls on this block <laughs> you're like yeah he's like at some point like, I, want the, I want the prequel movie of this dude's life because at one point he was like you know john q uh solve the case you know like i'm gonna uh, make sure everybody's on the, and then he turned into like this heavy drinking <laughs> creepo you know it's it's pretty funny well, he kind of was like in the movie, like when he was like, yes. "You're too good to be here," and then he's still a seedy guy in a class. Like, are you undercover? Are you? Yeah. What are you? I mean, do you he, just he's... show up like on your off hours to like pick up <laughs> yeah. the girls that look like they're prostitutes, but yeah. shouldn't be to like yeah. scare them straight? Like, what is? Yeah. So I would like a sequel about uh, his life. <laughs> but I mean, there's, a, there's a lot of those funny, funny double entendres in this movie. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. where he's like. I used to know all the girls, you yeah. know, it's like well, yeah. because you were investigating a murder. It's like, don't leave, don't leave out that part. And then another one is, uh, you know, at the beginning when she's she's uh, going to rent the rent the room and she's like, could you ever sell it? She's like, no, too many memories in here. It's like, oh, you mean the bodies that are buried under the floorboard? It's like later on you go. A lot of dead bodies. Yeah, I mean, this oh, is the Edgar Wright movie, Jeff. Like yeah. he, he does this. He, always, he will give you everything from the movie in the first like 10 minutes, basically. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Everything is going to go. I think. I, I mean, I, th- I think a lot of that is intentional. But yeah, yeah absolutely. You're right. Yes. But but was it supposed to be quite as as funny as it came it's across? Very sure. It's very yeah. hot fuzz. It's very like hot fuzz. Um, yeah. like uh, like Timothy Dalton's character Simon Skinner in Hot mm-hmm. Fuzz. Like everything that character said in that movie was like <laughs> super super suspicious. Yes. But of course, you know that was a comedy, right? And so, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, un- this unclear, is kind of a yeah. comedy too at times. So I don't. At, know. at times. Yeah. At times. Yeah. Like I, I do think like. He he knows what he's doing, and like I think it had to be, he had to have understood the possibility that we would interpret that as funny. You know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. So so I do think like maybe part of it is intentional, but yeah, yeah I do. That doesn't take away from the fact that it is maddening. Given I wish which, I know, wish there was yeah. like a better response from Eloise. It should have been like a huh. Yeah. Oh wow, I got Sorry. that right. Like huh? Yeah. 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 Oh I yeah, I read that. Oopsies, you know, real wrong. <laughs> Having wow. a real case of the Monday. You know, live and learn, yeah. I guess. Live. And, oh wait, except for him, he doesn't have to live. <laughs> live, laugh, learn. You know. <laughs> um, anyway, okay. Well, at the end of the day, folks, it is pretty impressive that Edgar Wright made a movie, especially last night in Soho. I am genuinely impressed, and uh, and I hope people have a chance to check this out. You know, um, it uh, is in theaters right now, and I think mm-hmm. it's a great. Dolby Atmos experience. Oh, yeah. Good theater viewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh. And uh, it'll be out in video on demand in a few weeks. And I think you should check it out then as well. But yeah, uh, uh, that is our review of Last Night in Soho. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. For now, our new theme song is coming very, very soon. Um, you can find uh, the uh, person who created our weekly plugs music. Uh, he's Noah Ross. Kyle Corwith is the guy who did our spoiler bumper. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Stick around to learn what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Alicia Grasso, I want to say thanks again for joining us. It's been such a blast to have you Thank on. Thank you. Yes. And, yeah, um, thanks yeah. so much for having us. It even wasn't that bad even, you know, having to do it with Jeff. So <laughs> Wow. Well, you don't the need first to be time too... anyone has ever said that. Yeah, I mean, let's not. You don't need to lie to us, Alicia, <laughs> you know. But Alicia, where can people find your work? 
Uh, you can find me on Screen Rant, uh, Adam Tickets uh, at Adam Insider, the the editorial platform, and on Twitter at Alicia Grouso. All right. Next week, we are going to be reviewing Eternals, the new Marvel film, and uh, a film that has been, uh, uh, people are reporting, the lowest rated Marvel film ever from a Rotten Tomatoes perspective. So huh. you will find out whether or not we on the Filmcast agree with that assessment <laughs> next week. And also, again, reminder, our After Dark this week will be a review of Titan featuring Valerie Complex. Uh, and if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash film podcast is where you can do that. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad. It's the filmcast for all the news and the movies coming out. Because you know that it's the thing worth talking about. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.